welcome to the Martial Arts Podcast with your host, Baron Cave. We have a very special guest today, is Sam on the show, who's an MMA fighter. Uh, welcome to the to, the, to our podcast, uh, Sam. Thank you very much, Kay and Bear. It's a pleasure to be here. Wonderful. Thanks, Sam. I think today you're going to tell us about your competition experience and experience in the ring, in the cage, uh, live matches. Yep. Would you like me to start from the very beginning? <clears throat> yeah, let's take it. From the beginning. Cool. Um, my first ever fight in front of people in like the MMA world, not in like the Taekwondo world when I was younger, was an MMA match against David Laws. And that was in Vauxhall Coliseum. And it was one of the most nervous, but the most best experience I think I've ever had. Um, I had just been out of the beginners MMA class for probably about three or four months at that point. Paul Hines, who was the trainer, he said I was near enough ready and they had they had two positions open on a card that my gym was putting together and offhandedly after an advanced class one day they just asked me if I'll be interested and it scared me and at that time I was trying to do things that scared me so I was just like hell yeah I'll do it and I had no idea what I was getting into to be honest so you had four four and a half months of training in MMA so you was really quite proactive to go to the next step, go to the fight straight away. Well, no, because before that, I'd had about a year and something in the beginners. Oh, I was okay. about four months into the advanced class. You only get to the advanced class in like MMA gyms if you, if you, if you have good enough skill to be able to um, help others with their game or if they're getting you ready for a fight. I was under no illusions that I wasn't in the advanced class to get me ready for fights at that time. I was there because... I was, well, I still am. I'm 5'9 and I'm pretty muscular. So double leg takedown, single leg takedown, get on top and smash, like ground and pound, uh, rain elbows from the top or hammer fists. And a lot of people was dealing with that at the time. So they decided to bring me in for just to, just to drill escapes and how to get out of mount, really. And taking on the fight, um, you probably felt that it was good for your learning as well, right? Because you you wanted to learn. That's why you moved all the way. You progressed all the way to advanced class. So the, taking on that fight, it was pre pretty much a learning experience for yourself. The problem at that time, Kay, was I was trying to do things that was um, outside of my comfort zone, which wasn't really a problem. Well, it was because I got like super nervous, like after like my next two classes after taking the fight i was like what should i be learning should i be doing more everyone else is doing like 10 minutes of cardio should i be doing 15 minutes of cardio but yeah after everything was explained to me then i kind of calmed down a little bit and was like oh okay okay everything's cool did they prep you on a special program before the fight is it a different training program or is it the case that advanced class is sufficient enough really to handle a fight the advanced class is more than sufficient enough for you to be able to handle a fight the only thing that i wish my gym would have done a tiny little bit better is obviously they have strength and conditioning classes where if you're eating healthy and you're taking protein shakes then you'll just lose fat whereas i didn't really know a lot about nutrition back then so i was just like okay eat salad eat chicken eat as much steak as I can. And then I would go to every single conditioning class, which was brilliant for my cardio, but not really brilliant for muscle recovery. 
So the protein side you got from steaks, right? Wouldn't that be a better way than just um, protein shakes? Or is it just a bit slower to work on the digestion? Eating protein-rich food is always going to be better than having protein shakes. The problem is, is that like some protein shakes, like uh, isolate whey uh, protein, uh, your body absorbs it quicker. Casein whey protein, your body absorbs it slower. So you can have like a casein protein before you go to bed. And that will literally, you'll, you'll wake up in the morning feeling like strong and full. It's a, it's a really weird feeling. Oh, Where it's like releasing. Kind of. Exactly. Whereas normal, like, um, let's say impact whey uh, uh, protein from my protein or something, just their normal brand of protein. It's just like eating a chicken breast, but obviously you'll get more fats, more nutrients, just more better stuff from the actual chicken breast than you ever will from taking the protein shakes. Just the hassle and preparation, right? The time to prepare exactly in. exactly but now i know a lot about nutrition um yeah re- re- relying on protein shakes is really a mugs game so you you agreed with the coach to have a fight how how mm-hmm. long was it before um, between like agreeing and having the actual fight take place uh it was three and a half months that was quite which is a fair substantial time well i know from speaking to friends who are like um like big pro uh, MMA fighters, I know that their fight camps are sometimes 10 to 14 weeks, depending on the opponent. So, yeah, I thought that, you know, about 13 weeks for me was pretty good because <laughs> I, I needed it, if I was honest. That m- must have been quite exciting, and especially at the stage you was fighting. It, w- it wasn't local gym hall. It sounded like a proper Foxhall oh, Coliseum. A proper yeah, venue, the, big yeah, the... The Vauxhall Coliseum, for anyone that doesn't know, is um, it's basically got um, a bar and stuff downstairs, and it's got a small bar upstairs, and it's just got a massive event area. I think it holds probably two thousand people, maybe more than that. It's a mini and stadium. Yes, yeah, it's, it's it's a mini mini stadium. It's, it's basically a mini upstairs stadium. It's mainly used for you know like intimate live music gigs. I do know that Ed Sheeran played there um, mm. three years after I was there, and his one was sold out standing, like in no standing room. And there was 2,100 people there. But I don't think our one was as packed. I think we had around about maybe 900 to 1,000 people, which, which is still a pretty good size for a Thursday night in, uh, in North London. So did you have to diet for that? What was the fight, fight weight for that? Um, I was fighting at 70 kg. Um, bear in mind, when I was told I... I um like would I accept the fight and I was like yeah I didn't ask at what weight the fight was which is a very stupid thing to do but you, you live and you learn your height your weight would be quite comfortable or it would be slightly heavier my problem you is is that yeah my problem is is that I'm actually like five foot nine but I'm pretty like heavily muscled like Kay will attest to the fact that I'm not skinny by any means but um <clears throat> sorry what was we saying again the fight weight was 70 kg so i thought maybe um you could have fought at a slightly lighter weight to your advantage to your oh advantage. yeah i've fought at slightly lower weights the lowest weight that i've ever fought at was 67.5 kg that was too uncomfortable for me it was too much dieting it was being too rigid i would literally get like headaches like hunger headaches 
from not being able to eat. My stomach was constantly growling. My muscles went tiny. It was horrible. But yeah, at 70, I look quite lean. I have like a, like at 70 kg, I get like a, or I, I normally will walk around with like a f- four pack anyway. But at like 70 kg, like all the veins pop out from everywhere. Um, it's just a brilliant time for Instagram photos at 70 kg. <laughs> <laughs> That's incredible. That's my aim for next year, by the way. <laughs> uh, you, bro, you can do it. Like, trust me, like right now I'm about 76 kg. I can get down to 70 kg now with the experience that I've had in probably about four weeks. Is that sort of combination of training and diet, right? Yeah, it's just a combination of uh, like hit training, a combination of uh, high protein and uh, high diet. That, that's all you really need. That's really good. What would you? Um, we were just speaking about the nutrition part, so I just want to ask. I mean, it's been on my mind because I was watching the Game Changer, and I mean, sort of, I'm, I'm more or less a vegan. Uh, hmm. So, what, what would you advise if you, if you have any advice for people who are vegetarians or vegan to and who are training? Is there anything you could suggest in terms of the protein intake? I've got a good friend who uh, is totally vegan. He's been totally vegan for about three years now. And uh, he uses the vegan protein shakes from my protein. Uh, there's also a right. pea protein shake that he uses, but he does also use like tofu and other stuff as well. Gotcha. The, yeah, the, I, I, the, a good a good brand is uh, Quorn, Q-W-A-R-N. Obviously not for every meal, but for, you know, like a meal on Monday and then a meal on Wednesday and then a meal on Friday, it will give you adequate yeah. protein. It's really convenient because they're usually microwave for right? The microwave exactly. steaks. Exactly, yeah. And who do, who 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 doesn't love convenience in this day and age? <laughs> but but Fast honestly, food. but honestly, anyone out there who wants to just get themselves in a tiny bit better shape than they're currently sitting in, trust me on this. Drop the bread, drop the potatoes. Yeah. If you if you still want to go with the bread go with brown bread. If you still want to go with the potatoes, go for sweet potato. If you're going with a lot of meat and a lot of rice, just cut out the rice or cut the rice in half and have quarter rice, quarter salad, half meat. Trust me, it will do wonders to your world. I do so much better with salad instead of bread. Like I, I wouldn't cut the meat intake, uh, but the, the salad replacing the, the bread, the bread, bread doesn't do well with me. Uh, lactose doesn't well, I'm, I'm slightly lactose intolerant so gotcha. milk doesn't do do good with me uh, but bread that's the one thing that I noticed that I, I could do the same exercise routine all week but when mm-hmm. I drop the bread I look a lot better and I feel a lot better as well I'm a lot less puffy bread I don't know why it makes me really puffy but the problem is when you uh, I'm working from home now so, so it's a lot easier when you work mm-hmm. in the office or when you go outside to work whatever you do um, like, it seems to have everything you eat lunchtime or even the morning it's quite bread based mm-hmm. uh, you might start with a bacon roll or a sausage roll in the, in the morning a bacon bap or something and then lunchtime you get like sandwiches so bread uh, maybe part of like the pricing what, what you can get outside for convenience and for pricing is usually quite bread based so it's quite hard to run away from bread it's actually quite a challenge to run away well, the, from it the problem is is that throughout most of human history um carbs or bread is just the easiest way to get calories in 
like throughout history i mean even up until like a hundred years ago we was more concerned with surviving than how we look now we're more concerned with how we look than surviving because we know the the poorest people in society now have iphones i mean we've kind of made it in it in the first world to a certain degree which kind of leads us into being more of spoiled children more going on appearance than substance that's true that's true which is sorry but if you look at places like um asia for example it's very common in the morning in asia for them to have uh vegetables and meat uh for breakfast in the morning i've been on holiday in thailand and they they absolutely love a breakfast buffet in thailand but we wouldn't call it breakfast by the western standard at all it's noodles it's pork it's it's um cut up beef steak orange juice and a little and a little dumpling yeah, a lot of people get surprised when they go to Asia that Asians eat quite a lot in the morning. They certainly don't eat very little. They don't have a, a slice of toast and some baked beans and that'll be it. They, they can have quite big portion breakfast. Yeah, they go mad, especially on the buffet queue. I can tell you that much. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so when you was fighting at 70kg, did you find that comfortable uh, being your first fight as well? Because I got told when I was about 75 kg and I, I found out when I had, well, I found out about a week later. So I still had about 11 to 11 and a half weeks to drop five kg, which is very easy. But most of my weight was muscle, not fat. So I basically just had to cut down on like lifting super heavy weights. And I mainly switched over to a hit cardio, which basically just melted quite a bit of muscle off of me. But if you know anything about muscle, you know it's quite easy to gain back when you start actually eating calories again. And did you not have so much experience being the first time of how to do that diet for the, the fight fight diet? Well, the problem is, is that your trainers don't micromanage you because they don't want you to be calling them up. What do I have for this meal? What do I have for this meal? So what they tend to do is that they tend to pair you off with other people in the advance who have fought before. So you'll get, um, uh, hey, Charlie, uh, Sam, Sam's having his first fight in uh, 10 weeks. Uh, could you give him a little overview on the nutrition and a couple of things that would like really help, like, really help him out? And then it's basically up to that person because you're all part of the same gym. You're all representing the same brand. So then it's up to that person to kind of take you under their wing and kind of be like, hey, listen, if I was you, I'd go to two cardio sessions a week. I wouldn't do five. I would cut down on the rice. I would add a little bit of salad. Just genuine advice. But yeah, your, well, my coaches, they seem to just want to step back and see if you can do it on your own because the last thing they need is, you know, just constant bothering. So from my understanding, there's quite a rigid scientific kind of method, method of doing the, the fight diet, especially trying to lose weight in a short time uh, after the weigh-in and then to pump it up back up. I refer oh. to water retention. They lose a lot of water, right? And then yeah, they kind definitely. of like inflate themselves in a very short, unhealthy, quite dangerous kind of short period of time after the weigh-in. Did you, did you get involved in any of that? Well, I woke up day of the fight and I was 71 kg. So I had to lose one kg before the weigh-in. The weigh-in was at uh, half six before the crowd and stuff gets there. And I remember um, I'd done cardio. I didn't drink any. Yeah, I remember I'd done cardio. 
I didn't drink any water whatsoever. And I remember that I put on a sauna suit and I went jogging. And then I come home and I had a freezing cold shower. And then I just got changed into my tracksuit, done my bag, and then just jumped on the train to Vauxhall. And luckily enough, I was on weight. On on the weighing day? So you was on weight? In the, or is it they weigh you on the same day? So they don't uh, usually they, weigh the day before and then you have to go go back nah. the next day? Normally they weigh you probably two, three hours before your actual fight. Oh, okay. So, okay. For, for, so for example, I fought around about nine o'clock. I was weighed in around about 6.30. So okay. after you're weighed in and they confirm, okay, we've confirmed he's 70 kg. After that point, you can eat whatever you want. You can drink whatever you want. You can work out if you want. You can lift weights if you want. You can go sleep if you want. Did you have a good technique in um, managing the weight after the first weigh-in? Then, Did you eat the right thing? Did you, did you know how to inflate yourself? I didn't. I learned I learned at um, a BJJ competition the next year because in between all the fights, I was doing competitions as well. And I'd never done a competition before, so I'd never cut weight. This was literally like the first time I'd ever cut weight was to fight. And it was a little bit daunting, but the fact that I managed to do it and the fact that I literally weighed in at 70 kg, like dead on weight hmm. was just such a relief to me. And me like an idiot, I'm thinking, okay, what am I going to need for a fight? So I'm thinking, okay, I'm going to need energy. So I'm going to need sugar. Okay. I'm going to get some Haribo. Um, I'm going to have no energy because I'm going to be depleted. Okay. I'll grab me a Red Bull. Do you know what I mean? Just utter stupid things that if, if a, if a young fighter come up to me today and was like, yeah, yeah, I'm fighting tonight. And after I'm weighed in, I'm having a Red Bull. I'll be like, are you stupid? Like, do not do that. That's going to affect you in such a bad way. But you live the in nerves, the like, I mean, you mentioned Red Bull. The nerves must have been quite a thing that's keep you from sleeping, right? The night before. Uh, having to wake up at 6 a.m. To get well, to get there at 6 a.m. and do the weigh-in. No, no, no. Like, you get there, don't have a lot of sleep. Get, sorry, I got there at 6.30 p.m. and I was fighting at 9 p.m. Oh, okay, 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 sorry. Okay, got yeah, that's cool. Because I would not have got up at 6.30 to go Voxel and then come home and then had to go on Voxel again. Oh, okay. Did you did you stress out the, the day before? Was it did it feel a bit like going for surgery or does it feel anything like getting surgery the next day or feel like you have to move house? That kind of, you know, stress? Not really. The normal stress from well, from what I was talking to other people, obviously it was their first fights that day. Well, some people's first fights that day. I was talking to them as well and we're all kind of consoling each other. Their big problem was they can see the crowd. So the crowd bothers them where... I couldn't see the crowd. I could hear the crowd. So I know that the crowd's there, but I don't know if I know for men, visual stimuli, like visual, like stimuli is like a big thing. So seeing people watching you can make you feel doubt, give you the nerves. For me, it was just background noise. It was lit. Cause you can't hear any particular conversation. You can't hear any particular voice. I mean, like I've had girlfriends come and see, like come and see me, and they've been recorded with their uh, recording with their phones, and you can hear on their recording they're shouting out, "Come on, Sam, we love you, kill him!" But when you're in there, <laughs> it lit, it just all sounds the same. It all sounds like a football stadium, all talking at the same time. So that worked well with your advantage, with your focus. 
you didn't get distracted by the stimuli around you visually yeah i'm quite lucky i don't really get distracted like that often and things don't really make me nervous because i go into everything knowing the fact that okay i'm registered blind this could end up horribly for me if it does end up horribly for me okay if it doesn't brilliant so if if i would have came out of there with a, a broken orbital bone and crying then i would have been like yeah i expected that to happen the fact that i didn't and you know it was it was like one of the most triumphant moments of my life the guy i was fighting didn't know that i was registered blind he just thought i was an average opponent who wouldn't look at him in the eyes maybe he thought i was nervous or something <laughs> i don't know but yeah it was a, just an utterly brilliant experience so at this point you had 11% eyesight in each eye yeah which is like anyone could compromise with that that's that's very very limited and with your type of vision you said you have to look from peripheral like you have to look outside the center to, to the sideways to the corners yeah for for any viewer that's listening if you just look dead straight in front of you that's what i can't see now while you're looking in front of you use your peripheral vision and look all around the outsides that's what I could see, but the outsides of the peripheral vision are at 11%. So they're also blurry as well. Yeah, my direct vision is zero. Even at this time, is zero. Like now it's zero, then it was zero. It's been zero ever since I was 11 years old because uh, my particular disability is cone rod dystrophy where the rods that attach um, from the backs of my eyes uh, into my visual cortex in my brain are slowly... Uh, being pulled out of the backs of my eyes. So slowly by slowly, I'm being unplugged, if you will. <laughs> so um, for the opponent staring at you, you're looking at left corner or right corner. I'm literally about to dive. Yeah, I'm literally just looking at their collarbone. Oh, okay. They're so quite high up. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm literally just looking at their collarbone. And for them, they could be thinking, is he going to go for a punch? Is he going to go for a takedown? Is he going for a body blow? I found out afterwards through like a lot of my sparring partners that one of the reasons why they like to why they like to spar with me is the fact that I always keep them on their toes. It's just the necessity of my disability. I can't see straight on. So whatever attack I do, you're never going to see it coming by where I look, which is quite fun for some people. They always teach in kendo or um, more the traditional martial arts. You look in the opponent's eyes, which I always thought was a terrible idea because the eyes are not going to punch you. I think me and Bear was training before. <laughs> We're doing a bit of reaction training, isn't it, with Bear in the mm. park? And he said, oh, do you look at the eyes? I'm like, well, the, the eyes, like Mike Tyson said, uh, someone grabbed him and I said, the eyes not going to punch you. Is the shoulders. So you, you have to watch the shoulders move. You don't, you don't look at the eyes. That's just distracting, especially with smart <laughs> opponents at the super pro level. They could look one way and they got such a good sense of direction, they could hit you from another way. So the eyes are just... Um, that's just in the movies yeah yeah or maybe yeah. kendo because they have a bit of distance maybe is that I, I i don't know i'll give them that i'll give them as much as that maybe for sword <laughs> fighting because of the distance in between the eyes kind of give away before the the hands move because the hands take longer to connect but when you're fighting very close quarters combat like mma um you, you don't really have time to analyze their soul too much very true <laughs> Yeah. So that's exactly what I tried to do, Kay, because I was trying to scare you while you're training. <laughs> so, so Sam's going. That, that in. didn't work. 
<laughs> so Sam's going in round one. But what happens in round one, Sam? Well, the funniest thing happens before like the fight even starts. I get into the I get into the ring. Obviously, I'm I'm walked there by my gym, so I can't get lost in the crowd. They literally like put me up. Like my trainer walks up the steps before me and puts his legs on the ropes. This is a boxing ring, by the way, for anyone listening. It's not an MMA cage. Um, so yeah, I'm literally going to have an MMA fight in a boxing ring for for my first ever MMA fight. Uh, my trainer puts his foot on the rope. I go inside the ring. The referee's in the middle of the ring. So I just go to the referee. The referee says, blue corner, blue corner. I don't know which way the blue corner is because I can't see that far. Even if I use my peripheral, I'm, I still only have 11% eyesight in my peripheral vision. So I can't see the ends of the ring where they've got the colors lit. So I literally just look around and then one of my, I just hear one of my trainers say, Oi, retard, this way. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, okay. So I, I, I walk over there and he goes, you can't see the corner, can you? And I was like, nope. And he literally said, at the end of round one, just go to whichever side calls you a retard. <laughs> a great code name. Uh, yep. so you, you, you moved to that corner. Uh, you, you was fighting at the blue corner then? Yeah, I was in the blue corner. Uh, David Laws was in the red corner. He's a Did really have... nice guy, by the way. Really nice guy. He moved to Manchester and got married and had a couple of kids. Oh, big congrats. Did you? Yeah, really have... nice guy. Were you allowed to wear shoes in the ring? Uh, we wasn't because we was doing MMA, so we was going to be doing uh, takedowns and kicks, obviously. You like kind of BJJ type compression gear? From what I can remember, I was wearing um, MMA clinic shorts and I was wearing... I was wearing a grey vest top with um, the Cage Warriors logo on the back, which is the bigger association to the association that I was fighting for. Nice. So, so you go in and your strategy is to dive in and get close and take him down as quick as possible. Well, up until this point, I had never done proper Brazilian jiu-jitsu in a gi. I had only done it one week before this fight. All, I, all I'd really done is MMA and submission wrestling. But I was pretty good at MMA and I could tap people out in MMA. In submission wrestling... I was pretty good and I could tap people out in that. And I remember having a laugh with my Brazilian jiu-jitsu instructor uh, before the fight. And he was like, if you tap him, I'll give you a blue belt. Now, I'm sure he was only joking because I, I had only, I got two stripes as soon as I walked in the class because he knew me. I was in the advanced MMA. He had watched me roll before with other Brazilian jiu-jitsu uh, guys that he had taught. So I walked in to have like a two-stripe white belt. But yeah, when he said that I could get my blue belt if I tapped um, David out, uh, yeah, I just went for it. So I came steaming out of my corner. I think I I went to the... Do you boys know, do you boys know who Chuck Liddell is by any chance? Iceman. Yeah, the Iceman. The Iceman done a... What's it called? A seminar or a clinic? He done uh, one of them at the MMA clinic gym that um, I was going to at the time. He done one in Islington and he done one in Romford. And I, I went. Came there. Yeah, I had no idea that came down there. Yeah, like um, I've been to well a couple of well probably about three or four seminars that the MMA clinics put on with 
absolutely like pro fighters, like invaluable stuff that I couldn't have learned in anywhere else. But in these seminars, anyway, Chuck Liddell was teaching us about the overhand right punch that he's had so much success with, just knocking people on their ass. So my strategy was, I'm going to come out, I'm going to do, I'm going to do a body blow to just like the solar plexus. And then I'm going to do the overhand right. So I come out, I do that. And luckily enough, he covers up a little bit too much. And I just go for a double leg takedown. And then from there, I just hammer fist until he turns over and gives me his back. But everyone getting excited out there. I didn't tap him. I was an absolute Brazilian jiu-jitsu noob. Um, I got overexcited. I sunk the choke in around his neck absolutely perfectly. So you managed to take him down. Oh, yeah. Take, taking someone down is very easy. Yeah, yeah, but the only reason why he turned around was the pressure f- with the um, hammer fists. Hammer fist. So I've so Sam, I've got him to. Mm. Sorry to interrupt. Can you uh, probably describe to the listeners? Uh, and uh, I'm also curious. How do you sense the opponent? How do you how do you sense David? And how did you take him down? What what is it? I mean, is it? Is you know, it, it's intriguing because, like, even. You know, if you're fighting, you can see see your opponent. But if you can't see how, well, how do you train? What what is it that you did that for you to sense where he was that distance, and well, you luck- knew how to? Yeah, luckily enough, there was a massively bright light above the boxing ring, which illuminated everything to bright white, and David was literally just like a black shadow, if that makes any sense. Right. Yeah, but like by the way, David Laws is like a five eleven white guy with glasses. But to me, he looked like Mike Tyson. You know, he was big, <laughs> he was dark. There was a big like shadow around him because because the luminescence of the lights and stuff. But yeah, I mainly just go off of like shadow. I mean, like Kay will tell you. Like I've sparred with Kay. We've sparred right loads of times, and yeah, and we've yeah, rolled right rolling and stuff. Yeah, yeah. Do you ever have the sense that I don't know where you are? <laughs> your understanding of anatomy um is incredible because we we have two arms and we have two legs and we have a torso in the middle but for a normal person that's actually quite hard to understand <laughs> fair enough <laughs> it's actually quite hard to understand where these arms and legs go when they move but i guess your mastery in um coordination and, and just understanding how the anatomy works as long as you know where one limb is i think i know where the others measure, are yeah yeah you scan the whole body from there and you know the proximity between each limb which i'm making it sound more simple than it is because really not that simple right like anyone's been in a fight it's not that simple it's really it's actually quite a a good sense that you need and mainly grapplers have that sense incredibly well well i was lucky when i first started mma because um i wouldn't really do striking that often because not to not to belittle strikers and i'm not the best striker out there but once you learn how to punch, anyone can throw a good punch when you learn how to punch. But the grappling is what always interested me as somebody that couldn't see. How am I going to... I mean, even a blind person can throw a lucky punch and knock someone out. But how am I as somebody who has, you know, like 89% less eyesight than this person, how am I supposed to grapple them and make them bend yeah. to my will? Plus, it's all about pattern recognition as well. I was... I was teaching my daughter the other day about pattern recognition. And if you can recognize where someone's hand is, then you can always guess where the other hand's going to be. 
Oh, I guess. Ex- oh, okay, yeah, I get, I get what you mean. Now. Especially yeah. in a sport where you know, for like, just for just for an as an example, if you're boxing someone and somebody jabs you, you know that their right hand is below their chin because <laughs> they've yeah. jabbed, yeah. so they've lowered their guard a little bit. We uh, you're talking to the wrong noobs here. We always drop our hands when we throw a punch. That's <laughs> no. where you're wrong there. Don't drop your hands, <laughs> <me>. boys. <laughs> That's where you're wrong. I'll do That's what one of my trainers used to do, and I'll super glue your hands to your face. Yeah, yeah. Or slap with lit. No, no. no. You if you drop if, your hand. if I super glue your hands to your face, then you have to rip your hand. Then you have to rip the skin on your face to get your hands away. You'll never forget that spot where you ripped your skin to get your hand away. Mm-hmm. then your hand will automatically return there because you'll never forget it. Yeah. So you, you figured out where this guy is, as Bear was saying. So you rushed in. You managed to take him down. Uh, you, you, you hammer fist him. So yep, so he, so he gives, yep, so he gives me his back. I sink the choke in immediately. Now, for the Brazilian jiu-jitsu... Yeah, a rear naked choke. For the Brazilian jiu-jitsu guys out there, you've already realized my mistake. I've got no hooks in. I've got no control over him whatsoever apart from his neck. And all he does, he just turtles up and then he just walks the clock, which basically means instead of me being on his back, he starts walking around. So me and him are like facing each other because I didn't have any hooks in. I didn't even have a body triangle on him. Such a basic noob mistake. When I look back on, I'm sweating to, like just talking about it. So Ben, Sam went in. He had his arm around his neck which usually is that is really deadly uh is close yeah. to finishing but his hooks would be his two legs to wrap around his body in, in, in bjj you don't want to give the opponent even an inch of space it's body to body and there's yeah. pressure as well it's not only body to body touching with no gap in between but it's constant pressure and mm-hmm. sam's legs would have to go around that guy's body his, his ankles yeah. would be like a hook so those yep. are the hooks he would gotcha. apply. Yeah. So I yeah. would either. So imagine if if I'm sitting like a teddy bear sits down. Imagine you put another teddy bear in front of me. I put one arm around the teddy bear's neck. The other one locks my arm in place. I then put my legs inside the legs of the teddy bear. That's called hooks. If I put one leg across the teddy bear and then cross my <laughs> other knee across that ankle, that's called a body triangle. <laughs> so I'm laughing at this because you make me laugh. Just the the visual of uh, like a teddy bear. Yeah, this is how you from this, this is how I teach my daughter about. <laughs> yeah, I, I used to teach her through teddy bears and uh, Barbies. It's easy oh, to wow. understand that way. And also, yeah, yeah. So, so your legs would stop his body wriggling out effectively. Exactly, because there that's not the only way to escape it. The way that he did, but me me and him were both. Um, he was more boxing. I was more uh, grappling and MMA at the time. But me and him had only been probably doing MMA and boxing for probably about a year and a half at that point. Did no, you not no, get punched then while you was diving in because of his oh, boxing? yeah, of course. <laughs> <laughs> and you're going to eight punches gonna... on MMA gloves? Uh, yeah, they're only little MMA gloves. I think they were eight ounces. Eight, eight or ten. Yeah, don't tiny. don't quote me on which one yeah but definitely tiny. eight or ten they weren't 12 ounces no, tiny gloves yeah yeah but so you had your um kind of both arms in front of your face when you're diving in or um not really because when i came in i went solar plexus 
and then I just went overhand right. When the overhand right hit him, I just carried oh, my right. over. Yeah, so I just carried the overhand right to just underneath his um, forward leg. So I just picked that up and then I just swiped his back leg, which is his support beam at that point. And he just went straight down, a couple of hammer fists. He turned over, gave me his back. I sunk the choke in. Stupidly, I didn't have hooks in. He managed to wriggle out the side. Um, yeah, and then me and him stood up and we started duking it out. <laughs> oh, nice. So he rolled out and he got back on his feet. That was his, That's where he was comfortable. Yep. Well, there was no, yeah. Well, there was no point me carrying on the choke at 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 that point because all it would have done is made my arms tired, and he could have easily weathered it for about a minute to a minute and a half until I've got no more strength in my arms, and then he could literally just stand up and just start boxing me. Was it two minute per round then? Um, I think it was three. Oh wow, very long. Yeah, I think yeah, I think it was three minutes per round. Yeah. And how many rounds did you manage to progress then? Uh, we done three rounds and then it got stopped. Yeah, that's quite epic. It was pretty good. Um, for, like In the first round, like I said, I had that little opening flurry. Then we stood up. We exchanged punches. I think I took him down another two more times. I remember he got... David Laws is a really good boxer. I, I don't know if he still is, but at the time... Like he'd only, like I said, he'd only been doing it for about a year and a half at that point. But literally, people would walk around going, "If he carries on doing it for another year and a half, he could easy, you know, like he could easy be like a good semi-pro or like a brilliant professional." Oh wow! Yeah, he he was absolutely amazing, and he caught me with some epic punches. I mean, he got me with a he got me with an uppercut to the body that like I think I still remember when I'm like ill and in fever dreams. Was it on the left side of your uh yeah, it was on the left side just under the ribs. It was a perfect blow. Okay. Like a shovel hook or is it just a straight cross? Like an uppercut just underneath the rib where it kind of like clips the floating rib and you get a little ooh, ooh, every time you breathe in. Oh, every time you breathe in. Oh, yeah. Gosh. It don't yeah. go. You, you you need water and you need to like breathe that out. It's literally like a little stitch. You just got to breathe it out. Like when, like, like when you're running, just breathe through it. Did you have a beer ceremony after the fight? I didn't. I think after that fight, because I remember um, my two good friends, Ash and Oleg were there watching me. And I think after that, we went back to my place and we just had a little bit of a party. There weren't much beer going on. I think there was whiskey. Oh, just <laughs> strong stuff. Really nice, chilled. Yeah, I, I feel like the tension of relief myself, like, you know, with that combat experience. And then after the fight, it was like, oh, finally, you could, you could breathe, you could relax. Mm -hmm. Yeah. How, how long was it before your next fight? And what was your next fight? So the first fight, that was the first MMA experience. What was the next competition experience? My, I had that first MMA fight and then my next experience was choking the smoke in um, 2012 in, um, in Labrook Grove. That's a big submission wrestling and Brazilian jiu-jitsu tournament. And um, yeah, that was amazing because I'd never been anywhere where, you know, everyone in the crowd is also fighting. <laughs> wow. 
so it was literally like you would be standing next to somebody watching two guys that you knew and they just absolutely just like going after the tap like not one f given and then the guy next to you knows the exact same as you or maybe even more than you so you're shouting to your friend do this do this try spin around this way and the guy next to you is literally going like no no don't do that do this do this you're playing pokemon with your friends in the middle exactly that's what it basically is <laughs> but yeah that was absolutely amazing um my submission wrestling um teachers um said that um we should go for it from our submission wrestling class um there was me there was a guy called uh paul who was a well he is a very very good grappler and a very very like good guy and it was me him i think me and him were the two lowest uh ranking people who was going and all the others were had literally like two three four five years experience like i said like um our instructor took us there so yeah but that was eye-opening because that was you funnel in and then you go, okay, what category are you in? I was in under under two years. So you go to the under two years. What category are you in in the under two years? Meaning what weight class are you in? I was going to the 70s again. So then I joined the 70s line. You get to the front. You have to make sure that all your registration's in, your paperwork's in. And then from there you go, you get weighed. If you weigh too much, they tell you you have, I don't know, an hour and a half to lose this amount of weight. Otherwise you can't compete. Luckily for me and for Paul, who was also fighting at 70, by the way. So we could have had to have fought each other if we were very unlucky, but, but we wasn't. So yeah, we both got weighed in. We both got weighed into 70. And then we had to wait around for literally five and a half hours for our matches to begin. Was we're it scheduled abs- one match that night or was it, was it like a tournament? Was it's a tournament. Oh, okay. it's, it's literally a tournament. So let's say... It doesn't matter what time you get there. It's all going to be random or alphabetical. So you could get there and sign up at 10 at 10 and at 10 a.m. For example, you could have your first fight at half three in the afternoon. It's quite draining then. Very draining. But yeah. one thing that I didn't know is that you can like. I thought you had to maintain that 70. So I'm thinking, okay, I can eat something. Then I've got to do a little bit of training, get myself, you know, back down to 70 before the match. And as soon as we got there, me and Paul got through like with our trainer and then our trainer literally pulled out like coconut water, pulled out like um, healthy snacks, pulled out fruit, bananas. And he was just like, Hey, you boys need to have some of this. By the way, he didn't even bring it for us. He bring it for him. But, I think he realized that, oh shit, we didn't tell them to bring like anything or they didn't use their brains and think that, and think to bring like nourishment. Oh, quite a lot of learning there. And you, you went there for submission wrestling. Was that, yeah. Or was it just general grappling and people with different backgrounds? It was general grappling, but it was basically wrestling and then how you would win is you would win on positions, points, or taps. So let's say, K, me and you are rolling. Let's say we both tap each other out three times during the match. Say I was far more, you know, dominant. I was far more on top. 
like you only got your submissions through my mistakes they would class like you as the winner okay you had a kind of three judges like a panel of three judges or uh i think it was only two there it, it, it could have easily have been three but the only time i ever walked past the judges table there was two people sitting there marking so oh, i've seen i've seen fights with just two judges yeah i was wondering how then how again it probably is three because the referees are judge as well right yeah he is yeah he, yeah he so you've got shot. two people yeah so you've got two people sitting down and one person in the action was there several fights going on throughout the whole day then like, uh yeah time? imagine um imagine a massive town hall but I mean massive. If, if anyone's ever been to the Labrook Groves gym, they would know. Um, put it this way. An average rolling area is the average size of a boxing ring. There was nine fights going on at any one time in this hall. Okay. And people was gathering around, you know, asked, um, this blue belt is fighting, obviously, but they, they don't actually have belts, but they're at the level of blue belt. This blue belt wants to go up against the purple belt because he says he's better. And then everyone would be like, ooh, let's rush over there and watch that one. But yeah, there was nine going on at the same time. And you start from standing position. Yep, you start, you start from standing position. Um, I like to do like a little a little spud and then like a little hand slap or hand slap, then spud and then like roll into it. Um, some people prefer a handshake. Some people like I've come across them. They're few and far between, but some people just prefer to just go immediately. Like we step on, we have a look down at our feet. We look up and it's time to go. Usually quite a friendly atmosphere, right? Especially with the fist bumps and the handshakes. It's quite yeah. It, it's quite friendly because you know, I, Hey, listen, Either I'm going to win or he's going to win. If I'm going to win, I'm not going to be a dick to him. And if he's going to win, he's not going to be a dick to me. Because people who, they get you in an armbar and you tap and they're not happy with a tap. And they'll, they, they'll, they'll, try and, they'll try and break your elbow. Those people do exist. They're few and far between, but they do exist. Thank God you got um, the referee there, right? That's... You but get he, disqualification for that. Yeah, but even then, all the referee can do is just disqualify him. Like you, that like, you can't have another fight after your elbows busted. You could have got second. Maybe you could have got a medal or place for your gym, or got some respects. But you would have to stop at that point in the competition because you can't go on. Yeah, grappling's always a uh, a lot more riskier than than people give it. It's very high risk. It is, but what makes it? What makes it low risk is doing it with good people. You you never want to do Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, MMA, or any type of violent sport, shall we say, with somebody who has an ego, somebody who has like a chip on their shoulder, or somebody who has a problem. You want it to be love. You want it to be fun. You want it to be you you want it to be an enjoyable experience for everybody. At the end of the day, yeah. For that event, did you have any like uh, age? limits or weight category was it everyone uh, versus everyone there was the categories of two years and under four years and under six years and under and then i think it was I, eight I, years i don't really under. know what two years under would look like it literally looked like two teddy bears like. no two years and under would mean you've only been training grappling and submissions <laughs> oh, right. for two years. Like, i was thinking what is that possible 
like, I was thinking, two years old versus another two year old. <laughs> I need to take <laughs> you to some tournaments, bro. <laughs> I, I've lost the plot there. He's a two years old. Man. Really lost the plot. But then with the experience, that's how long they've been with that flag of gym, right? Because no, that, that's how long they've been doing the sport. Oh, Pete. People was underrating themselves all over. Very One of the first guys. I, I could be casually training for like twelve years, and then I, I take training seriously and I go to the gym full time for two years. Mo- mm-hmm. Most people like me would then go for the two years and under. Yeah, but you'll be disqualified immediately because there's stuff that you would know, and there's escapes that you would know that the person you're fighting against wouldn't have a clue about, and the referee would just immediately stop it and go, "Nah." Oh, they can nah. sense it straight away. Oh, definitely. 100%. I'm blind and I can see the difference between a white belt and a blue belt rolling. <laughs> yeah, the, the belt, belt levels are very... There's so much certainty in grappling. Um, Ex- for example, well yeah, but, but like, for example, let's say I was to walk into a gym tomorrow and I was to say, uh, I'm a purple belt or, um, or I'm a brown belt. They would know within the first... 20 seconds of me rolling if I'm talking BS or not. They would know so immediately. You went for the two years and under match then? Yep, I went for the two years and under. Um, I got in. The first guy, rumours had gone around that he was a just a fresh, like like a fresh blue belt. He, he had only been doing it for about 18 months, but he had just got his blue belt because all he had been training was Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. And that's the first guy that I ever tapped out in a major competition. This was, this was Noki as well, right? The whole event was Noki. Yeah, submission wrestling and tournaments in general, unless stated, will always be Nogi unless Gi is stated like implicitly. Do you wear something like those American college wrestling, where it's like a strip compression gear, but in the shape of a vest top, and then these earmuffs? Um, I don't wear the earmuffs and I prefer to wear, well, you know, Kay, I prefer to wear um, compression anime tops. <laughs> Vegeta. Yeah, of <laughs> of uh, the Saiyan armor or, or Vegeta, yeah. They're what I wear. They're, that's what I wore to this competition. And I've got a video um, on, this is how old this competition was. This competition was in 2012 for the people listening. I have a video on an iPod Touch. <laughs> Oh, yeah one. they were amazing they, they were everything. yep but i've Apart got from calling <laughs> yeah, exactly. they was as big as an iphone if you remember <laughs> they were slightly light lighter they were slightly lighter than iphone they were slightly thinner, thinner yeah but they're i've got that thinner. whole but i've got that whole tournament videoed um on my ipod uh touch from back in the days yeah but I mean, yeah um i've i spotted the guy we rolled and I managed to tap him with an armbar from an omoplata about a minute and a half into the actual match. Oh, nice. Which was really difficult to do because omoplatas, if anyone's listening, um, you'll know that they're like a white belt moving into a blue belt. Most white belts will know an omoplata, but they won't tap people with an omoplata. Whereas blue belts know it and can tap people with it. And I genuinely never, like never tapped anybody with an omoplata, but I did it anyway, thinking, well, 
my submission wrestling teachers watching, if I get this, it's going to be amazing. And if I don't, meh, I'll be on my back. And from my back, I can... My back is my speciality in, in Brazilian jiu-jitsu. You lose on, points in this game, though. On this event, you lose a lot of points if you're on back. You lose a lot of points if you're forced to be on your back. If you take the back position, then you're then you're generally seen as, oh, he's a bit of a badass. You know what I mean? He's laying down for the other guy. Do you know what I mean? He's he's giving the other guy a slight advantage here. But yeah, I was just lucky. I went for an omoplata. I didn't get it. I was lucky enough that he sh literally shot his left arm outwards. And then I literally just snaked my way around his body and then literally like tried to yank his arm off and he just tapped immediately. I let go immediately. We stood up, uh, we hugged and lit like um, my submission wrestling teacher, um, Rich was just ecstatic with Paul <laughs> on the corner of the mat. I remember it to this day, Rich and his brother, Joe were, Amazing, amazing teachers. Amazing teachers. Like, they gave me so much confidence. They gave me so much passion. Like, one thing about Rich and Joe um, and submission wrestling in general, they would never tell me or anybody else, this is a bit beyond where you are. They would always say, go on, have a go, see how you do. And I love that mentality because the mentality is just like, yeah, you might not get it straight away, but who cares? Do it eight or nine times. Go home and do it another 50,000 times. Come in and come in and try and do it next week. I just love that type of attitude. Yeah, Bear and I are doing a podcast with the same kind of mentality. Uh, perfection is op often an obstacle to good. So um, just go give it a try. Try your best and you get so much learning out of it, really. Exactly. Not only that, like, think about it like... Um, if we transfer it into podcasting, Joe Rogan's the biggest podcaster in the world, but he didn't start off that way. He I was literally doing it for started... years without anyone knowing. I think people only really know him this year. Like I've been knowing, been following him for years, been a fan for so many years. But I think when when I was a fan, I don't think anyone, any of our friends knew, right? Friends that didn't like MMA. Well, I was lucky enough to follow probably from about the 400th episode, purely because of um, Joey Cope. Joey, Joey who, sorry? There's a comedian called Joey Coco Diaz. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and I had seen him. Yeah. I'd seen him on like YouTube. And I remember just literally just YouTubing like Joey Coco Diaz. And it would just come up as him and Joe Rogan in this dark room. And they would just literally like go backwards and forwards and like make jokes with each other. But yeah, like it's it's all about trying it's not about being perfect so you went in the competition how many fights did you have or how many bouts did you uh, how many um matches did you have in in the event then for, for the submission wrestling i had two and then i was beaten on the third which was this which was the semi-finals for my um division well, you got very far the semi the semi-finals um Kinda. I wished I would have got a little bit farther. To be honest, um, I was beaten in the semi-finals by like a rear naked choke. Literally, what I should have done in my first MMA match, 
by putting in the hooks is what the guy done to me. Because when he grabbed me around the neck, I was like, yes, no hooks. I've made this mistake. <laughs> and then I felt his ankles going inside my thighs. And I was like, oh, no. Oh, no. I tried to get out. I tried to, you know, like shake him out. I tried to shrimp onto one hip and tried to like hook one of his feet out. But I just couldn't do it. My eyesight, well, it's not that good anyway, but I was starting to go into the tunnel, which is when you start blacking out. So I was just like, nope, I'm tapping. So I tapped. Yeah, instead of being choked out completely. Uh, exactly. You never want to be choked out completely for anybody listening, by the way. You never yeah. know how your body's going to react. I've seen people choked out and they're absolutely fine. I've seen people choked out and they're unconscious for 10 minutes. I've seen them choked out. They're unconscious for two seconds. I've seen them choked out and they pee themselves, choked out and they do a number two. I've seen them choked out. And when you bring them back to themselves, they literally freak out and start crying. Oh, that's Every... horrible. That's a yeah, traumatic every... experience. Yeah, everybody, everybody has a different reaction. For me okay. personally, I've my gym used to have a tradition. And this is going to sound bad, but it's honestly not once you... Bear in mind, this is only once you get to the advanced class. But on your birthday someone would choke you out in the class <laughs> and hit, but, but, but here's the point. You didn't know who was going to choke you out and you didn't know when. So As you could you be, tap and then they carry on. Yeah. Yeah. You tap and they'll just choke you out until you're fully unconscious. And then they'll lay you out in the middle of the cage and everybody, the beginners who have just gone in before you and the advanced who's in there now, they'll line around the corner of the cage. Cause it's your birthday. And then somebody will like shake you, wake you up. They'll stir you. And then, you'll obviously be like sitting on your ass like a child in the middle of the cage. When you're back to your senses enough, everyone will start clapping and be like, happy birthday, bro. Like, well <laughs> so done. Much, oh, man. <laughs> oh, I, I, I've seen people start crying. Um, yeah, I've, I, <laughs> they have a picture of me and I'm, for those listening, I'm like five, nine, um, very muscly with loads of tattoos and like, ginger hair and after i was choked out i was wearing a white vest top my skin is more white than the white vest top i was wearing for some reason the color just drained from my entire body yeah touching birthday celebration <laughs> well not it kind of lets you know that like hey bad stuff can happen here but like we also have your back yeah oh that, that, that's good and then it's better to get blue belt getting after belts that experience. Oh, sorry, man. After you. Um, no, that came like way later. Oh, was was Bear saying something? No, I wasn't saying anything. Oh, sorry, sorry. Must have interrupted the sound. <laughs> yeah, I managed to get a blue belt way later. Like way later. Like after like I had done like an Essex Open that I won like two matches and then I don't know. I just fell apart. I, I think that's genuinely the only time that pressure has ever got to me was in the Essex open because everyone's walking around in Brazilian jiu-jitsu geese. It's a real Brazilian jiu-jitsu tournament. Like there's real, like, Oh, that guy's Sanso Sanso. You remember when we was talking about him like a couple of years ago? Yeah. Yeah. He's over there with his students. Oh shit. Do you know what I mean? Well, I mean, because um, you did MMA, or you, you, were, you were doing MMA, so you did everything, right? So if yeah. you were just focused purely on a BJJ Academy, then the belts would be a different kind of 
pathway, isn't it? Like, as in, you, you not getting the belts didn't really represent anything. It's because you were focusing on MMA, the striking, the submission wrestling. So yeah, that's well, kind of divided it. When I joined, I never wanted to... Well, I did obviously want to test myself and fight somebody, but I didn't know that I would do like competitions and loads of fights. But when I first started, it was literally, okay, I'm a blind guy. I need to know I live in like East London. I need to know how to defend myself. I've been lifting weights for a little bit. My good friend Ash uh, took me to the gym when he saw my confidence level was dropping the same rate as my eyesight was. So he took me to the gym and encouraged me to get muscly and stuff. But other than like looking tough, I wasn't really that tough. So I wanted to learn how to punch. I wanted to learn how to grapple. Getting belts wasn't really that much of a big thing to me. Uh, after this Christmas, I'm going to go back to uh, purely, I'm going back to just Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, no MMA. And I'm going to concentrate on like doing the belt grind and trying to get up there a little bit. We'll, we'll, we'll so you're going to get into tournaments? Uh, I'll probably spend up until October of next year just training because when... Because I'm going to have to go back. I'm going to have to relearn so much stuff. Obviously, I know how to do it, but it's no longer muscle memory. Especially with COVID. <laughs> yeah, it's made training difficult. If it wasn't for COVID, get Atty, Atty the, the, the training bus, pick us up and take us to Simon's place. They have to go to Sai's gym. Exactly. Yeah. I've heard good things about Simon, by the way. And, they, not, they, they... and not just from you guys who are his friends. I've heard brilliant things from the actual... Brazilian jiu-jitsu community. There's um they don't make it easy for you to get belts, right? Me and Bear no. probably mentioned these there's probably mentioned this topic quite quite often when we like talk to all the other martial artists. So blue belt with listeners come off the white belt. Yeah. So you have Sam competing. It's like, oh, at the Col- at the at the big MMA event, if you choke the voxel coliseum might get a blue belt. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and and by the way the only reason by the way you have to see it from the gym's point of view from their point of view they have a guy who has the balls to get into a ring and fight even though he has 11 percent eyesight if that guy goes on to destroy the other guy by using just boxing technique then then is a great advertisement to everyone in the crowd even if you're blind we can teach you how to box yeah, it's so, a win-win situation for everyone. Exactly. So for me, it was, hey, we'll chuck you in as many things as we can. <clears throat> and I was more than happy to do it. So so what's your um, training routine now compared to before when you were going to your uh, tournaments? When you're going to tournaments, you have to, have to, have to do at least four Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu classes per week. And that's minimum. That's minimum. You'll have to do four classes of one hour per week. If I was getting ready, let's say, for example, I was getting ready for a competition that's happening next summer. I would start by doing four days a week for January, February. And then I would do six classes a week for March and April. And then May and June, I would literally do eight to 10 classes a week. Because there's literally no downside to it. As long as you're having the right nutrition, you're getting decent sleep. There's no downside to it. You're just just adding to your armor. You're literally just putting bullets in clips. That's all you're doing during like during that time. Yeah. You're yeah, just this is very clips. similar. 
Absolutely, yeah. This is something uh, we spoke with uh, Jordan, who's a K1 champion for um, um, kickboxing. And even he also mentioned, I think he was doing roughly around the same um, for his tournaments. So, it, it, yeah, it is it is that. But it, it's, it's something anyone can do as well, right? It's not that you're going into competition tournaments, but it's just to improve yourself. Absolutely. And I have so much respect. Don't forget, like I have bad eyesight, so grappling is a major part of my fight game. I have so yeah. much respect for purely striking like martial arts because that would like genuinely I'm a blind guy. You tell me, like, do you want to have an MMA like match like for like a friendly? I'll be like, hell yeah, let's do it because I can grapple you. <laughs> you tell me, do you want to have a boxing match like pure boxing match? And I've not trained for it. I would be so like nervous. But you took on a boxing match before, right? Yeah, but I was training boxing like four days a week for that. <laughs> That's incredible. Was that before your MMA match? Was that before MMA days? No, that was afterwards. This is where basically I was doing just MMA. And then when I was doing just MMA and I'd done the MMA, um, the first MMA fight, then the gym suddenly saw that, shit, like the blind guy is pretty, like he's got balls. So then they started being like, well, if you want, you could go upstairs and just jump into a boxing class. I'm, I was already a member of the gym anyway. Do you know what I mean? So they're literally like, instead of just coming in for the MMA, like for the MMA beginners and then the advanced, like over time, why not come in and literally just skip the MMA begin? Like that's how I managed to get out of the beginners because I already had, I already had one fight. They brought me into the advanced to help out some, I, Mark Fry, I think his name was. I remember him specifically as they brung me in because they wanted him to practice escaping off of his back from a heavily muscled ground and pound guy. But yeah, he was amazing and taught me a lot. But yeah, so they brung me into the advance for that. And then they kept me in the advance because I was getting really good while training with them. So instead of coming in at six o'clock, doing the beginners and then going straight into the advanced afterwards, I would come in at six o'clock. I would go upstairs. I would do an hour boxing and then I would go into the advanced MMA. After doing that for about six months, the boxing um, teacher who, who was called um, boxing and Thai boxing teacher called Ben Woods. I'm sure his name is Ben Woods. An absolutely fantastic guy. I think he was ex-British Army. Um, but yeah, just an amazing Thai boxer and just an amazing guy in general. He asked me if I would like to do a purely boxing fight. And like I said, at that time in my life, everything was all about challenging me. Everything was all about pushing me. And that scared me. The fact that I couldn't grab somebody <laughs> and put them on the floor and just I, dominate. I thought, that. I so thought I, the whole time so, you would have done the boxing before. MMA. No, after that experience, it's like, oh, let, let's give boxing a go. You know, I can't see anything. <laughs> well, not only that, they took me out of the beginners and they put me into the advanced. So now I was getting there at like six o'clock and then just waiting until the advanced. So during that time, they was like, "Why don't you go upstairs and learn how to box?" And I was like, "Yeah, I might as well. I mean, it can only help me in the MMA, right?" And they was like, "Yeah, like it will only help you." And after I'd done it for a while. They literally said, would you like to have a boxing match with um, a guy from another gym? And I was like, hell yeah. Oh, that's good. Uh, like the interclub fights. Uh, this was from another gym. So would it be an interclub fight? 
Interclub yeah. is inside inter the same club. gym. Inter means outside. Intra is inside. And there's no See? such thing as intra club. See, so I'm stupid. Yeah, yeah, that would just be sparring. In, in, internet, yeah. like, <laughs> outside. All right, <laughs> fair enough, Kay. Fair enough. <laughs> Very <yeah>. technical. <laughs> that's, technical right? that's how technical yeah. I could get. But anything more than that, I can't do. <laughs> Pretending yeah. to be technical. <laughs> but yeah, it was an intra club fight. Oh, so it's from the same club then? No, no, no. Inter club fight. It w- it was from a different gym entirely. I'd never met the guy before. Oh, but was it like a partner gym? Was it like a friendly, friendly? No, match? no. <laughs> a gym war. <laughs> Not really a gym war, but this dude turned up, and like me and him both got weighed like at like the same time. He turned up, and I remember he was a little bit heavy. I was like bang on seventy, and I just remember like going over to have a conversation with him, and I was just like, "Hey, man!" And he just like I was just say like, "Hey, man!" Like we're fighting later, like. You know, like just an intro. Sam is and, a nice guy, basically. <laughs> yeah, and he just turned around to me and went, "I don't want to talk, bro." He's probably and nervous. He, then he's probably too nervous. He he thinks you might throw him off. Distract yeah, him. but as my mum would say when I was a kid, too nervous for manners. That's either a bad upbringing or just a bad human being. Yeah, you can't give them credit for it. Like it's whatever their choice is, but you can't you can't commend them for poor behaviour. Exactly. Yeah, but yeah, I won that boxing match. <laughs> <laughs> hey, well done. And, and it's because he didn't say hello back. <laughs> kind of. Nah. Um, I had a, I had an ex-girlfriend in the crowd and she likes to think she cheered me on to victory, but it really wasn't. It was, I, to be honest, I basically put him in the corner of the boxing ring and I just, just carried on hitting him until he had no fight left. It was the amateur with um, 16 ounce gloves and head guard. <clears throat> um, it was no head guard for the boxing. No head guard, okay. Yeah, we had 16 ounce gloves though. Yeah, okay, yeah. But no head guard. I think it was supposed to be head guards, but um, Paul Hines um, said that if you don't want to do head guards, then you can ask your opponent. And if they don't want to do head guards either, then you can both take them off. Well, I'd, I find it more easy to slip punches um, without a head guard because your head is a lot bigger with a head guard, right? It's like a big cushion. But yeah, but that's why people like the head guard because it's a big cushion. <laughs> yeah, you get hit a lot more. Yeah, but it's a big cushion, so it ain't like you're going to feel it. You, you definitely feel it, but I think um, it, it's quite a serious fight without a head guard. So all these um, white collar boxing matches and amateur t- tournaments, they, they're quite head, they're, they're all head guarded. Uh, even now, uh, I think it's quite disputed. I think in the Olympics they're gonna re- they removed it in the last Olympics, if I'm right. I think the last Olympics was the first time they removed it because they did all these scientific tests and the head guard didn't offer enough protection, but it gave a false sense of protection. So people get injured a lot more. Uh, they get a lot less cuts, but the the force trauma is the same or, or worse or something like that. But it's, it's amazing. Which round did you take this guy out in? Uh, I managed to beat him in the third round. There were supposed to be four rounds, I think. Although I'm not too sure. This is 2013 uh, that we're talking about. But um, yeah, I just remember I came out and I just done a left right to the body. And then I just done like an uppercut. And then I just done like a right cross. And then he literally like hit his ring corner. Because I literally came out like a bullet from my corner. And got him when he was about three steps out of his. 
and I just put him there, just and I just kept, yeah, I literally just kept him there the first round because one of my coaches taught me if you punch and then like move and then one two another punch move one two another punch move one two another punch move one two another punch then it's hard for them to kind of get your rhythm because you're working on an odd rhythm okay so you got him against the corner mm-hmm. uh, and then that was round one and it was did you go to round two yep round two was literally just both of us standing in the middle of the cage oh i remember toe. I remember round two, my corner told me at the end of round one that I'd, I had no head movement whatsoever to speak of. I had no footwork. And they literally said, like, bring these elements in now. We want to see it. So I, I remember, like, slipping a couple of punches, eating a couple of punches. I remember just specifically just being like, put my hands up, do some footwork, do some footwork, put my hands down, do some punches, do some footwork, do some slips. I just remember just having that in my mind, like, okay, now do footwork. Okay, now some punches. Okay, now slip his punches. And then, yeah, in the third round, I just came out and was just like, I wonder if I could knock him out. Not saying that I could, but I wonder if I could. So I literally threw everything into every, like, I, w- I, w- I went into the third round, like I had Mike Tyson for like two minutes and I could knock him out live on TV. And what happened then? Was it a stoppage? Was it a technical knockout? Or was it a knockout? We got to the end of the round and I think there was supposed to be four rounds but there wasn't time or his corner said, nah, like, don't worry about the last round. I'm not too sure though because like I said, this is 2013. Oh, it it must have been um, exhilarating living Rocky out. Oh, mate. I've still got the picture on my Facebook of like my hand being raised into the air. That's and incredible. Bear in mind, that is my greatest achievement. Even though that was in 2013, that was something that scared me so much before I did it. And after I had done it, I felt like I had like, I felt like Muhammad Ali. Yeah, top of the world kind of feeling. I, I felt like I was on top of Mount Fuji with the boxing gloves raised, just being like, I'm here, boys. I'm here. Who's joining? You know what I mean? That's really good. You didn't think of doing another boxing match after that? Well, I had a semi-boxing match after after this one in um, 2014 with a lovely guy from South Woodford called Ben Smith. Me and him done a shoot boxing match. It was an exhibition. So no one was going to win. No one was going to lose. It was just... I, I had gotten really really good at takedowns and ben smith had got really 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 good at boxing so was it more like a friendly match where you're showing off your tech technical me, stuff me and him was in the same gym we started off in the uh, we started off in the beginners mma together i went to the advanced about three weeks before he did that's how close we were in training and we and we went to the same gym we were friends this is going to sound really cheesy because we was a lot younger back then. Friends. But me and him. <laughs> Between us, like friends. <laughs> yeah, no. Yeah, but you have to remember, right? Me, like, he lives in South Woodford. I'm coming from Stratford. And yeah. we, we, we were trailing in Islington at the time. So we would get the train back together. So oh, me, and him would, me and him would go to the pub and get a beer, 
Like we would like literally after MMA training, we would have shower, get changed, and then go catch the train together. And we'll be like, yeah, we're like the MMA bad boys. Do you know what I mean? And it was just a brilliant time for banter and a brilliant time for laughs. That's so good. But yeah, and then one day our gym comes up to us and goes and literally just says like, you two are roughly the same level. You're pretty good now. We want to see who would win. So this was um, hosted at the gym? Uh, no, this was in Vauxhall Coliseum. Oh, again, wow. <laughs> it goes to the big, big boy club again. Uh-huh. By the way, the, the last fight I had was also at Vauxhall Coliseum, the, the, the pure boxing one. So, um, I've so only ever had one fight not in the Vauxhall Coliseum, and that was at the HMV Forum for like MMA fights, and then all Brazilian Jiu Jitsu competitions and like submission wrestling competitions happen at like big selected tournament gyms, at uh, big selected gym tournaments. Could you give an overview for a lot of us who aren't very familiar with shoot boxing? Like, we've heard the name, but have no idea how it works as a game or as a sport. <laughs> Yeah, sure. Shoot boxing is basically boxing um, with takedowns involved. So there's no kicks, there's no elbows. So take out Thai boxing totally, take out the ground game of Brazilian Jiu Jitsu, and just keep in the takedowns of wrestling and the stand up of boxing. Does it so look it's, a bit like Sambo then? It does. It does kind of, but Sambo uses different gloves, if I recall. Oh, you have normal boxing gloves in this game? No, because I have to do takedown, so we're using the 10-ounce gloves. Oh, again, oh, the scary-looking things. They're not that scary. 10-ounce is um, basically really, really small gloves. Yeah, but when you've got a mouth guard in, you're all good. Uh, what, okay. what, what, what you should be scared of is 6-ounce gloves. Yeah. Because they pin your teeth out like, like Christmas crackers. Sleeping pills. Yeah. They, if you get punched with a six ounce glove, your tooth is wobbly. Like oh, no matter which way you look at it. Boxing man, when you, get, when you, got, you must have got hit in the jaw on the face a few times. Does it feel like things are loose inside your mouth? Nope, not at all. And not at all. I've heard it said that the punch that you don't see is the one that ruins you the most. Problem is, I don't see most of them anyway. Yeah, I was about to say. <laughs> yeah, so they don't ruin me, but I would honestly say Ben Smith won between me and him. They called it a draw because we were both from the same gym. We were both at the same level. And genuinely, on points, it was a draw, right? Like, on points, the judges added up the points. It's a draw. What are they going to do? But he Ben did something to me that I give him so much credit for. He hit me once and it hurt. So I turned, you know, my head away a tiny little bit. And then he hit me again. And that second one made my legs wobbly. And I have never felt that before or since. Oh, where your legs go. That kind of... Um, yep, I didn't go down. Punch, yeah, traditional I, boxing. Yeah, I didn't go down. Like, I didn't like fall down. But it literally felt like it felt like it took everything that I had to stay up to keep my legs from shaking and to keep my legs supporting my actual body weight. 
Yeah. Have you seen Hajime no Ippo? I have, yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's that, isn't it? Like, <laughs> yeah. They, they really articulate well, like the legs are wobbling. Yeah, it, it's that thing. But to be honest, Ben Smith is just an amazing, like, freaking guy anyway. But when he hit me with the first punch and it hurt, so I turned my head away from him. And then when he hit me with the second one, it was just brilliant instincts on his part because he went bang, saw that it hurt. And then he didn't even bring his right hand fully back into him. It was like a right hand. And then he brought it back halfway and then just went bang for the second time. And it took everything for me to keep standing. Absolutely everything. What are the rules on takedown? And you can use any technique to use a takedown. I can use a foot sweep. Yeah, I could use a foot sweep. I could do anything to get him down. But as soon as he goes down, I get five points and they stand him back up. Imme- like they stand us both back up immediately. So, so, so you can't do a throw then? Uh, you can do a throw, but all you're really wearing are boxing shorts. So I have nothing to grab onto to throw him. Okay. So mainly it's leg sweeps. It's double leg takedowns. It's rugby tackles if you can. <laughs> towards like the end of the fight it was like rugby tackles okay, can i ask a stupid question on that so yeah, all you're wearing is shorts but mm-hmm. usually the boxing shorts and the thigh boxing shorts like it's a lot less grappling mm-hmm. isn't there easy circumstance where you rip the guy's shorts off <laughs> like in the front <laughs> not really you guys tight? are no you guys are thinking about fighting without wearing gloves Add the gloves oh. on. Oh, okay, uh, okay, gotcha. Yeah, gotcha. add 10. You can't add, grab. Exactly. You can't grab, but you can get... It's like, okay, it's like MMA gloves. You can't hold a pen. Well, you probably could hold a pen, but your handwriting will, will be rubbish, right? Mine's rubbish without the glove, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, so, it, so, it, so it's like that. So these gloves are slightly bigger than the MMA gloves, but they're smaller than the boxing gloves. So you can still get a grip and take someone down, but you can't like pull and rip and like use your fingers by any means. So in that case, the sweep is probably the best move then. Well, for me, it was the double leg takedown because the double leg takedown uh. is just, is just, I go in, I pick you up, I slam you on your back. Or if I'm lucky on the back of your head, you see stars, you stand up. And then I just keep on doing the same thing to you. Is it a hard, hard boxing canvas again? It's an extremely hard boxing canvas, especially for shoot boxing. Because the last thing they want is when you're shooting in for you to bounce higher than the person's leg is that you're shooting on. Okay. I see. Yeah. That's really good then. Yeah, the the shoot boxing experience. Yep. I, I would do shoot boxing again. The only reason why we drew, and I would say that here and now, the victory should have got, even though it was an exhibition match, just to show how good our gym was. They said that we drew. I would have given that to Ben Smith every day of the week. Don't get me wrong. One, like if he lands a punch, it's one point. If I land a takedown, it was five points. So I managed to get, well, think about it this way. He managed to punch me enough times where he made all the takedowns that I did come to nothing. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. it was really his victory if you see what I mean all I had to do was take him down and he was just peppering me with punches the entire rest of the time well, it sounded like a 
there's there wasn't any losers like it was a winner for both for the learning experience uh, the fun oh, experience every, itself everyone loved it if you was into like takedowns and the submission like wrestling side of it then you was loving what i was doing because i was the wrestling guy taking on the boxing guy if you was the boxing guy who hates these freaking grapplers always trying to tap me out then you was yeah get him ben these freaking wrestling boxing guys on the ground do you know what i mean <laughs> So thanks for that, Sam. So we covered the, your first MMA match and um, described your, your process in dieting uh, a bit on the, the, the diet and nutrition. And then we went to your first boxing match. And then um, the last we covered was the shoot boxing match at exhibition, uh, the friendly match you had. Mm -hmm. So the next competition experience you had was uh, MMA, right? Yeah, the next competition I had was an MMA competition and it was basically winner stays in to the next round, which was really cool because they set it up kind of like a deathmatch style. If anyone's ever seen that film from like the 80s, where it's like two guys enter, one guy like remains basically. And then the one guys who remain from all the fights move up the pyramid until there's only one guy left standing. But yeah, that was absolutely like nerve wracking because you, you, you didn't know who you was fighting. <laughs> you knew who your first fight was, but from there, the fight ladder could go literally anywhere. Are all tournaments like that? Usually. Most tournaments are set up and structured. So you know who you're like, you know who you go against. Like, you know that the person will be 70 kg you know that the person will be like under six foot. You know that the person will have like under two years experience, under four years experience, under six years experience, under eight, under 10 or over 10. But in this particular competition, it was literally just the test your skills. Everyone can enter. Without any weight class limits? Nope. You could have a weight class, but there was no like below two years, below four years, below six, below eight, below 10 or above 10. It was literally just your 70 kg, join the category, see how well you do. Uh, so a lot more um, participants for, for yeah. every weight class. How, how many participants were there roughly then on that, on that structure? I think all in all, there was 10. Yeah, there, ha yeah, there had to have been 10, yeah. And, and everybody had in the middle of the day like your two two three p.m kind of time or this start well weigh-ins was at nine so this started about 10 35 ish this was in bristol by the way um i forget the actual place but i know that the guy sounded like a farmer he literally sounded like uh, the guy from the weetabix advert with the tractors <laughs> like my tractor is broken down how am i supposed to make the weetabix that type of accent. <laughs> and I remember that because it just keep it just kept on making me laugh. No, that was just his accent, right? It wasn't uh, uh, deliberate. I know, but you know when like you have it a lot of extra... accent quite funny. Yeah. Probably. <laughs> I remember like I was sitting there and I was like laughing because it was breaking the tension, which is like a really good thing when there is tension. And he was like, Well, you sound like a rapper. And I was like, Yeah, but you sound like a farmer. And like the rapper was a diss, like to him, but 
but the farmer was like a diss to me. It was just a brilliant back and forth from like two different areas in the UK. So um, you got weighed in. Were the rest of your teammates um, there as well? Was it just just you from for representing club? It was just me that was representing. I wasn't representing my club at this time. I basically took like a year off and a friend of mine convinced me like he 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 was entering it like anyway called Jamie Boring. Uh he's a really nice guy. He's not that boring, trust me people. Uh really nice guy. He basically convinced me to do it cuz he was like, "Look, you've not had like a fight in like a long time. You've not done a Brazilian jiu-jitsu competition. You need to do something." So he just suggested that he, well, he literally said like he was going to do it anyway. And he kind of put it in the, would you come with me and kind of be like some like backup for me? And I was like, hell yeah, I'll do it. And I ended up facing him in the second round. <laughs> uh, you made it to the second round, right? Oh yeah. I got all the way. I got to the quarterfinals. That, that's when I lost. But yeah, um, it was absolutely brilliant. <laughs> did you, uh, it sounds like, it's really hard to gauge what your opponent's style will be then until you actually have the match. Yeah. You never know. Um, I had up until this point, I had never fought somebody doing capoeira. It's like an African dance style of martial arts. A lot so of Brazilian. Yeah. Brazilian African. It's got a lot of like a lot of Caribbean influences in it. It's a lot of flipping, um, a lot of people that do it have dreadlocks. I don't know if that's just the style of it, the same way that a lot of people that do MMA wear like tap out clothes. Tattoos. Yeah, it could be the style or the trend of it, maybe. But so, um, uh, yeah. for, for listeners, um, so I guess Capoeira would be like if you had a guy doing Taekwondo, but breakdancing at the same time. That's what it would yeah. be like. Imagine breakdancing with kicks, flips, and boxing. That's exactly what it is. And it's it's very hard for somebody with bad eyesight to keep up with someone dancing in front of you. I'll tell you that much. Oh, okay. So that's, that's, that's a bit like been quite a challenge then on your anatomy. That's how interrupted by there. An immense challenge, even to, even to guess where the other guy's leg was. I mean, at one point he literally like, he literally like got down on his knees and punched like my shin. But I mean, so hard, my leg hurt. And you would never get that in any other type of martial art. I was not expecting it. If I'm standing up and we're just trading punches and he's all dancing around and the next second you go on your knees, punch me as hard as you can in the shin and then jump back up. It just, it just startles you. It's you're, you're not expecting the unexpected. Did you try to grapple with him? Yeah. That's the only way that I managed to get through the first round. Otherwise, he would have beaten me easily and hands down. He he was laying blows and I couldn't even grab him for the first probably 30 to 40 seconds. Because it wasn't conventional. From exactly. The, on, the only thing that saved me is that he tried to do... He tried to do a front somersault and kick me in the top of the head with his remaining foot. And the only thing that saved me is that I managed to step back in time and I just caught his foot as it was coming down the front of my body. And then from there, I just caught his foot. I used my, and then I pulled that into my body. So then I put my right hand behind his knee. 
Then I pulled that into my body. And then I had my hand basically around his back, around the back of his waist. And then from there, I just put him on his back. And then I just started pounding until the referee like called the stoppage. Oh, yeah. Hammer fist blows again. Exactly. It's, it's my speciality is just ground and pound. Do you, so use the hammer fist because it's more comfortable with your hands, right? You don't get knuckles bruised like that. I prefer using the hammer fist because this is going to sound weird, but, and I don't know if this is like a medical thing or if it's just something in my brain or whether it's a sports science thing. But when doing bicep curls, I can do hammer curls at about 20 kg, but doing normal like straight bicep curls, I can only do about 14 kg. So for some reason, hammer curls, I can do a lot more weight on, which I think subconsciously in my mind is like, okay, well, your hammer fist must be stronger. So I think that's why I go to hammer fist a little bit more often, but it could easily just be psychology. I thought it's because uh, your knuckles would hurt too much going from that position close up. Now, when you're wearing MMA gloves, your knuckles won't hurt at all, especially if they're like eight pound to 10 pound gloves, like six pound gloves, they'll hurt your knuckles. 10 pound gloves, you ain't going to feel anything unless you get your thumb caught, then you are going to feel everything. Yeah, I, I mean, a bodybuilder would correct me, but I thought maybe because you, you have quite strong forearms and you get to use a lot of that in your hammer curl when you're, when could, you're lifting. Where with the bicep curl, be, yeah. it's pure bicep, right? It's concentrated there. It could be. I do have pretty big forearms. My The middle of my forearm is the same size as like the middle of my bicep, which is quite big now I, <laughs> now I think about it. But yeah, this fight tournament was just an amazing experience. I mean, the first guy that I fought was, he was probably about 5'11". Like I said, he had dreadlocks. I remember to this day, he had a gold tooth because uh, when I was ground... I remember um, somebody shouted out in like a Patois accent, like, watch the gold tooth, man. And that will stay with me forever because it was just one voice out of the crowd just floated. Watch the gold tooth, man. Watch uh, it as in don't knock it out. I don't know if he was talking to me or to, or, or to my opponent as if to me, like, don't knock it out or to the opponent, like, um, like don't let him knock your tooth out. I don't know. It the guy wasn't shouting anything technical, so it must have just been like a like an average friend. <clears throat> but yeah, like I said, um, he was beating me up until I grabbed him. I put him down. I hammer fisted him. Ref called the stoppage. I had about half hour to 45 minutes. I remember that I had coconut water. Um, coconut water is a brilliant source of hydration, by the way. Uh, everyone out there should drink at least a little bit of coconut water like once a week um i remember i had a protein energy bar and then i literally sat down to have a rest and then five minutes later i was told i'm gonna go for the second round uh, the second round was against my friend jamie boring who invited me to the tournament in the first place we didn't know we was actually going to be fighting each other because they call like loads of people at once and then you all come up to the front and then from there they go, right, now it's going to be you and you. After the after you two, it's going to be you and you. And after you two, it's going to be you and you. Because they do it because they do it in sets. Mm -hmm. One so, sec. Um, yeah, go on. 
you went to the second round. You fought uh, Jamie. What yeah. style did he take on? It was it just MMA versus MMA. Well, the whole whole thing was MMA, obviously. But um, yeah, the whole thing's MMA. Yeah, the whole thing's MMA. Jamie is a lot more uh, Thai boxing and MMA, whereas I'm more MMA and Brazilian jiu-jitsu. So Jamie is far better than me, for example, on using elbows, using knees, using the Thai clinch, using the T kick to keep me at, to keep me at distance, which I have a real a real problem with. Like I can't grapple if I can't close the distance, and him and him knowing my eyesight and knowing my strengths and my weaknesses it was a really good fight although i did just manage to win on points that one wasn't stopped he was fencing you off with his front foot basically yeah he was just fencing me off with a front foot and then every single time i would go in to do a double leg takedown or a single leg or like try and like catch his heel he would literally just go for the knee like to the forehead knee to the temple Knee, any, knee anywhere he he could get, basically. Did you get knee in the forehead? Uh, I didn't. I was luckily enough to move out of the way twice, but I did get oh, a knee nice. directly to the center of the chest. Oof. I've still got a picture of the bruise somewhere. I, like two days later, it literally looked like I'd been shot by a cannonball. Oh, thank God it wasn't knee to the face then. Oh, I think that would have ended me. <laughs> I, I, <laughs> I think I would have gone unconscious and woke up three days later. Yeah. but yeah me and Jamie it was a brilliant fight he was just keeping me away with his front leg just keeping me away um, I managed to land a big overhand right which again the seminar at the MMA clinic with Chuck Liddell like helped out so much back in the day and that was probably ooh, the Chuck Liddell seminar was probably 2011 2012 times and now we're talking 2015 so that just shows how one seminar for 25 uh, quid can really put an really put like some good ammo in your magazines. You know what I mean? For you well, to inspired you to train that move, but I guess you, you have to have the training partners that train it. It's good that you have that gym and you could practice those moves together. Yeah, exactly. But yeah, I mean, fighting Jamie was like an absolute blast. I mean, I was luckily lucky enough to basically put a submission on him with like two seconds left to go and me putting that submission on him gave me the points because obviously he didn't tap from it the 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 clock had run out but me putting him in the submission which was an uh, i done an anaconda roll and well a gator roll basically and i got him in a kind of a peruvian necktie but not really but kind of one I was given two points for it and I only needed one point to win. That's literally how close we were. How did you find the elbows? Because um, he likes using the tie with the tie clinch and the elbows. Do you find that being um, usable against a, a grappler? A grappler's worst nightmare is elbows because elbows are unpredictable especially in like these kind of tournaments because don't forget like you're not you're not technically supposed to be doing knees to the face and elbows like to the head at like uh, amateur or like semi-pro that's reserved for literally like pro levels but when you get a load of mma guys who they want to feel big they want to have a competition no nah, come on bro i can take a knee to the face then it can get a bit out of hand. 
I find it like normal striking it's quite hard to land elbows because you're not that close uh, un- unless the other guy is tired already and then all you grab depend- hold of him and then you elbow him uh, all- obviously with good tie boxes they can throw at all, all kind of ranges all de- it all depends on the footwork one thing that I would say that Ben would and I'm not the best tie boxer by any means but I can throw a couple of kicks and throw a couple of elbows. And the one thing that uh, Ben Woods always, always, always would stress, and he's a brilliant, brilliant instructor. Um, Yeah, he's actually from Bristol or somewhere around that area as well, I think. The West Country of the UK anyway. But one thing that he would always say is footwork will get you in the door. There's no point knocking on the door, just knocking on it. Use your footwork. That will always get you in. And when you're in, it's up to you what you do in the room. Do you know what I mean? So um, he can't throw an elbow because you're clinching him too close. Was that was that the situation then? Exactly. I would literally clench... Well, he would clench me. So we're literally forehead to forehead. <clears throat> My only goal was to match his clinch and to try and use my muscle because I, I could out-muscle him at like that point. He was about 67 kg. I was literally 70 like with rippling muscle. So I would literally try and stuff his head into my chest. So the only place he can elbow would be my ribs or my obliques. And then I would literally start elbowing like uh, his collarbone, his shoulders, anywhere he could get. And then he would start kneeing me and then I would start trying to force his head down, trying to knee him in the head. It was just a battle of wills. And okay. <laughs> Jamie, like Jamie knows 100% that he could have just kept me away the entire time with his lead leg. And he, he could have won on points. It would have been a very boring fight, though. So you two were like battering rams with your elbows and knees. Basically, yeah. I mean... The only time it went down to the ground was literally when I wrapped him up in a submission, done a gator roll, kind of put him in a semi-Peruvian necktie. That's literally the only time it hit the floor. Other than that, it was just he would clinch, he would elbow, I would elbow, I would knee, he would knee, we would break apart, he would jab, I would jab. Do you know what I mean? We, we would just match each other for everything. How do you find the tie clinch then? Is that when you get into a tie clinch situation, do you quickly close up on them? Whenever I'm in a tie gap. Yeah, whenever I'm in a tie clinch situation, I want there to be zero gap between that person's forehead or their chest and my chest or my forehead. Mm-hmm. I want to close that gap immediately. Because what they're going to try and do, they're going to try and shake you one way to give them a little bit of room to use the kinetic chain of their body to just smack you. So the goal for me is stuff them into my body, almost bear hug them, if you will, by the back of their head, bear hug them into my body, shove their head into my chest, and then just use my knees, my elbows and anything that I can to try and batter their body. So when we break away, they're not going to be as sharp or as springy as I will be the next time we go to clinch. So when there's no gap between the two of you, the strike can't travel in between. Exactly. Then even if you do strike and even if it does land, it's not going to be that hard, that heavy or that impactful. Whereas if you give somebody like me the room to be able to use the kinetic chain, like the elbow would, it will be devastating. So what he has to do with the tie fighting, they have to swing you to the side, isn't it? So they move you a bit to the left. So you resist against the left, but then they quickly turn and they swing you to the right. 
and they throw you exactly. Off exactly. Yeah. Whereas my whole game plan is, I want to get my center of gravity as low as possible. I want to bend my knees, so that way I can generate a lot more force if I need to uh, knee. And also, I have a much lower center of gravity, so they can't just toss me about. And if need be, I can always go down for a single leg or a double leg if I need to. How many rounds was it per match, though? It was one round per match. Um, it was 10 minutes was the maximum, or tap or stoppage. 10 minutes for a round? Oh, that's nothing. I've I've literally seen like tournaments where there's no time limit. It's were there more gets... grappling tournaments though? Were there, yeah, uh, yeah, grappling tournaments for for a lot longer. Ten minutes a round. Oh, yeah, but yeah, but most people are winning the round within like four minutes, for example. Oh, okay. Don't yeah. forget, unless you're at a very like a high, high, high level, like UFC Cage Warriors or one of these like elite organizations, unless you're at that level. As soon as you start fighting somebody, like, okay, put it this way. I'm 70 kg. If you gra grab me another person, the 70 kg that's been training for the same amount of time as I am, like as I have, and you put us both in the cage, you'll, you'll see within the first 20 seconds who's going to win. The reason why you can't do it with UFC, Bellator, and all these organizations is they have what's called match creators. So they go, um, Conor McGregor, for example. If, Co if Conor McGregor fought, okay, Conor McGregor versus Khabib, did you find that an interesting fight? I guess so, yeah, because it's different styles, right? They pick different styles together. But here's the point. Who would you have rather seen? Would you have rather seen Conor stand up and box a boxer and knock him out? Would that have been more exciting? Or, or was it exciting to just see Conor get taken down and punched in the face? I, I like grappling, so... That's exciting for me, but I guess for the masses, that they the masses say it's less exciting, right? I, exactly. I find it exciting, but the masses don't find it exciting. Well, that's one of the reasons why Connor is so annoyed at the fact that he had to fight Khabib and the fact that he lost against Khabib was the fact that wrestler versus boxer, the wrestler will always have the advantage because all the wrestler has to do to win is get you down once. As soon as the wrestler has you down, you ain't getting up. Mm -hmm. Whereas, how often do you get a one punch knockout? Even for an elite boxer, it's rare. So, with Ben, you managed to do quite well once you had him down with the gator roll and the like. Jamie, yeah. Ben Smith uh, is the one who I had the shoot boxing with. Jamie Boring oh, sorry, is the yeah. so, I went Jamie, to Bristol yeah. with. Yeah. Okay. But so, Jamie, you're ben, down. Yeah, basically, Jamie uh, done a tie clinch. He gave me a couple of knees to the body. I caught one of his, um, I caught um, his left knee with my right hand right behind it, oh. and I, and I just literally took both of his legs and put his knees to my chest. So he literally just fell backwards straight onto his back. Um, I fell on top of him. He turned over into what into what's called turtling up. Everybody listening will know what turtling up is. I basically had an over under grip on the turtle. I basically locked in the I locked in the the choke, and then I done a gator roll. 
I hooked his leg, which brings his body into mine. And then I started straightening out my body, which made his body straighten out, which puts more pressure on the choke, which the time was over. Me and him both heard the of the buzzer literally as I hooked his leg and I won by one point. And that one point was me hooking the leg. Even if I would have done the gator roll, me and him would have been even. It was okay. just the hooking of the leg which gave me that one extra point. Oh, and then what happened in the next fight then? Next round, I was fighting a karate guy. <laughs> Ati. <laughs> he wasn't all that good. Um, I tapped him out in about three and a half minutes. Uh, I just basically done a basic standard armbar. Yeah, three and a half minutes is not uh, a short time in a fight. It's quite short. The average the average roll for a beginner is five minutes. So a beginner in uh, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, submission wrestling or an MMA, you'll learn how to roll off your knees. You'll learn how to go hard for five minutes and then you'll have a two-minute break. Then you'll go hard for five minutes, then have a two-minute break. So tapping someone out in three and a half minutes, it's not a big achievement, but it's not a small thing to do neither. So you're both standing up. You know he's karate from his stance work or was it just background announced? Oh, he was wearing one of them things around his forehead. <laughs> like the karate kid. Yeah, because Jamie was taking the Jamie was taking the mick out of him, being like, uh, here comes what's his name? Uh Daniel son. <laughs> Danielson. Here comes Daniel son. Yeah, he was like sweep the leg. No, I didn't. I oh. I really wanted to sweep the leg. Yeah. But the only the only thing that kept on going through my mind was his karate. If I try and sweep his leg, he's gonna like stomp my knee and he's gonna like break my leg in half. Ouch. Yeah, that's yeah. literally the only thing that was going through my mind was he's gonna kill me. Like if I try and like sweep the leg. Did he have a, a red bandana like Ryu basically from Street Fire? Yeah, it was a red one, yeah. <laughs> it was I don't know what was written on it because no one told me, but I remember it was like a red bandana. You um, don't actually see karate practitioners in Japan ever wear banana. We we used to wear it. So it's called it's called a, a hakimaki. And that's Ooh. something you wear. Yeah, the hakimaki is something you wear to, because of the sweat, basically. You don't want the oh, sweat okay. to go down in your eyes. Yeah, that's what it's for, basically. But it's, what's, it, usually, what's it called again, Bear? Hakimaki. Hakimaki, interesting. Oh, yeah, nice. and that, that's basically you wear, and it's got, it's got your sort of your dojo insignia on it, usually. Or something written in Japanese, which is related to your style. Mm. Well, I see well, Japanese people did... like wearing headbands, but um, like the fishing culture as well, because they're like fishermen, aren't they? They're very close to the marine and they wear, wear like a headband or bandana. But I've never seen a Japanese karate practitioner wear, wear like a headband. But um... Yeah, it's probably not in fashion anymore. <laughs> <laughs> it's from the 80s, daniel son. Yeah. So, so this guy had a, a bandana in, or was it a he... cage that you saw, I think, he had a hacky macky, and yeah, we was fighting in a cage. And my one regret is that I didn't use the hacky macky to tap him, because that would have been amazing. You could have taken that off and strangled him with it. Is, is what you're trying to say, right? Yeah, like with rolling <laughs> with with rolling with white belts, I have like taken my belt off, wrapped it around their legs, and then like before they know it, their legs are tied together. <laughs> yeah, that's incredible. But um, yeah, we was fighting in a cage. There was three cages set up in, um, I think it's called Bristol Arcadia. 
I think that's what it was called. There was three cages set up in one room and there was chairs set around each cage that you could watch. And um, he come in, he done his bowing thing. Um, I found that very weird. We walked up to the center. Was that a blood sport? Or, or he could have been like the, the next George, the GSP, the George St. Pierre. I honestly thought he was like a Jean-Claude Van Damme wannabe. <laughs> because he was doing like you know like the taekwondo stretch where like you put one leg out and then you bend the other leg and then you kind of do the splits do you know what i mean yeah. he was kind of doing that from like one side to the other like just outside of the cages like i was walking in he's warming up yeah and he was wearing like i don't mean to disparage anyone but he was wearing like some quite effeminate flip-flops and i was just like nah i ain't, i ain't gonna have this guy beat me now. Nah. all in all um we got inside we faced each other uh, i went to shake his hands I, I went to shake his hand and he bowed so i kind of bowed back <laughs> politeness <laughs> yeah and then he realized that i was trying to shake his hand so then he put his hand out and then we shook hands and then like he kind of, i think he went to like do something as in like in respect to somebody else who was watching, maybe his master or maybe his girlfriend or something. Or could be, but this was a white guy, by the way. So he went to go and like do something like that. And I just took it as, oh, he's trying to spud me. So I just spudded him and I just heard laughter from the side of the cage. What's spudding? Sorry. Like fist bump. Oh, oh, okay. Sorry. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. So imagine like he's got one fist out and I think he was going to cover that fist with his other hand and then do like a bow. Was this after the bell, though? No, this was before. Okay, okay, yeah. So as he's gone to do that, I was just like, oh, so we're bumping fists, cool. And because I did in that. multiple movies, right? They bow and another guy hits the other guy on the head, right? <laughs> oh, <laughs> yeah, movies, I, yeah movies, I would right? never do that. That's just disrespectful. Yeah, that, that's just low, right? But, but it, it, yeah. it happens. It happens in boxing as well. <laughs> by, the, guy... by the way, I've had some really low things happen to me, maybe on a different um podcast i'll, the I'll, I'll the that. lows of the lows of martial arts <laughs> yeah i've had a i've literally had a guy who he literally like let some pee out when rolling that's, not a low, that's just unfortunate just oh, no 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 he done it on purpose because <laughs> he was like he was like if you don't get off me i'll pee on you and i was like bro like you ain't go- you ain't gonna do that and he was like all right and i just felt warmness and i was just like nope So you tapped out. <laughs> Basically, yeah, I left the cage. <laughs> is that a foul? Um, foul? It's technically, yeah, but that that's just called a dick move. That that's like burping into- <laughs> Yeah, but you get that. Like I've had people in mount before, like people who have mounted me, and like I'm trying to like do a hip escape, and they'll just like put their they'll literally put their elbow on your neck. And they'll grind their elbow into your neck and then they'll just burp in your mouth. <laughs> well, the elbow Man. part is, is valid, right? That's allowed. Yeah, elbow part's yeah. valid. That's but like that's putting me under not, not really um uh, well, no, I'm like, not sure that's allowed. You've got your mouth open because you're <sighs> on the bottom trying to hip escape, and he'll just lean down for one second and just go <clears throat> in your mouth and then just sit back up. <laughs> is that allowed? Is that a foul? It's allowed. It's, just called dirty tactics yeah different topic is oil check actually allowed or is that just a mythical thing now that's 
you're not allowed to put oil on yourself at all. No, no, oil Even... check. Oil check. How do you mean? That uh, where someone's got someone in the triangle, but there's a moving uh, what YouTube BJJ, right? Yeah, don't quote me on this. Mm-hmm. YouTube BJJ, where you can stick a finger up, up their rectum, and then that will make them like squirm out. Okay, if you do that to me, two things are going to happen. Number, <laughs> number one, you're going to go to sleep. Number two, I am when you are asleep, I am then go, going to manipulate your spine with the back of my leg, and I'm going to literally try and crush your vertebrae. Yeah, but the, look it up, oil check in BJJ is a... a I know what it's called. BJJ thing, it, yeah. in, in my gym, it's called the dipstick, which is the, the same thing stick. as the oil check. Oh, okay. <laughs> What you use to check the oil is a dipstick to see how oh, low you Oh, okay, yeah. Yeah, so we call yeah. it the dipstick. Because I've never seen, like... I've, I've, I've never even yeah. heard of it done. But, but apparently, in some traditional... Allowed. That's why it's a bit of a shock. Well, that's why I'm not going to Brazil. <laughs> so, you're fighting you're fight Karate Kid. Uh, you yep. take him down really quickly... He's fencing you off. Does he have his hand in, the, in that position as well? So one hand on the hit, one hand in front of his face. He goes down. In, he goes down into like a horseshoe kind of stance. A like horse a stance horse, or horseshoe? Like a horse stance. A horse stance. He goes down into horse stance. He's got both of his fists by his hips. Oh, oh. Yeah, which to me is Christmas. You know what I mean? So I've I. Oh. I step forward and I literally grab the sleeve of his gi. I just done a judo throw. I just grabbed the sleeve of his gi. I turned my body around and I just threw him over my hip. And he literally just landed on the ground. He tried to spin into me. Uh, I basically passed his guard, landed in, um, landed in side control. I switched to scarf position. From scarf position, I just literally held him there. Being a dick, I was leaning on his chest and on his neck quite heavily to try and tax his breathing. Um, he got up to a uh, turtle position. As soon as he got to turtle position, I literally just started uh, hammer fisting the side of his head. Like I would hammer fist one side of his head and then he would shuffle. So he would then um, shuffle his turtle position round to the other side. So then I would just smack the other side of his head. The only one it's thing... Like that, mole. Yeah. The only one thing that he did really well is that uh, I went to just stand up to just get the fight stood up again. Because I, I didn't think he knew anything about Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. And he immediately went for what's called the waiter sweep or the waiter takedown, which is where you put your hand flat on the floor. You use your legs to twist around the other person's legs. And like a waiter holding a plate, you push yourself off the floor and you literally like seesaw the other guy over. So where you were down and he was up, you end up up and they end up down. He literally went to try and do that. He's Luckily, quite advanced then. He's not awful. He's a, he was at least a blue belt, like in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. Well, there you go then. Like, that, that's not bad. That's really good. Yeah, but he chose to use karate, which meant he's learned nothing. <laughs> well, he's wearing a gi, which is um, really to his disadvantage, right? Yeah, because don't forget, I'm not wearing a gi. All I'm wearing is shorts. Yeah. Yeah, I would... If, if somebody told me, hey, the person you're fighting is wearing shorts, do you want to wear a gi? I'll be like... Yeah, why not put myself at 100% of a disadvantage? That sounds fun. <laughs> I would never do it. It's suicide. Unless you like the Gracies back in the 70s or 
or 60s, 70s kind of time. True. But the Gracie family in general are just gods of the martial arts world. Yeah. I mean, and, they, and have, they have... Relative a, to the world strength. back then as well, isn't it? Without any grappling... Yeah. Not many grapplers around. There's a, there's a Gracie Academy in Liverpool Street or Tottenham Court Road. I'm not sure which one it is. I've been in there to roll probably about five times. And they are good. Like some of, like some of their four-stripe white belts are good like i can still eke out the victory but it's not like a come on bro like try a little bit it's like whew, i nearly didn't even get that because oh. they because they literally focus so much at the gracie academies they focus so much on you know the actual self-defense of the martial art but the old-fashioned stuff yeah the old they teach you the, exactly they teach you the old-fashioned stuff they're not teaching you how to do an armbar five different ways. They're teaching you how to do one armbar, one way, the perfect way. Do you know what I mean? Whereas I can do an armbar from mount. I can do an armbar from like S mount. I can do a flying armbar. I can do an armbar from the bottom. I can do an armbar coming off of an omoplata. I can do an armbar coming off of a rear naked choke. I can do an armbar from the back. These guys, they just learn how to do an armbar from their back. And that is a brilliant armbar. And they don't move on to any armbar until they've mastered that. I mean, it would have been quite epic if Daniel Sam beat you, right? You have to admit that. Like, if he got on the horse stance and he beat you, then Mate, that would have been a different kind of story. That would have been a really epic kind of YouTube moment. Like, I would have joined you know? his school. <laughs> no, you wouldn't have. You wouldn't have. <laughs> I would because but, the, but the only have, reason... We would have watched it on YouTube, like, you know, oh, karate, real, real life karate or something like that, you know? the big kickbacks well the only reason why i joined like mma like the mma clinic in the first place was that i did like taekwondo for like a lot of years and then i started doing um karate with my brother i've already told this story i started doing karate with my brother one guy who used to do karate like i could beat the crap out of him every time he done mma for two months he come back to the karate club and he <laughs> wrecked us man. yeah he wrecked us yeah he made, um, made me look silly. And I was literally like, where do you train? And he's like, oh, I'll do MMA, bro. And I was there's like... There's a, a tough guy last time we trained at East Ham, you remember, where he used to train with Ati, Ati's lot at karate, but then he moved it because of university. He moved that to Reading or Surrey somewhere. I remember him, yeah. yeah. I remember and him. And he was tough as nails. And he, he looked like a... You know, like... A, you could put him in an MMA movie. He's, he had a physique for it. Didn't I you, no, he, he got you in a triangle and you oh, wouldn't tap and it was like really nasty because you was like because you wouldn't tap and there's sounds coming out of you but yeah yeah you by, this really by the way kick-ass triangle yeah yeah by the way the reason why i wouldn't tap and i was trying to do it for his benefit the sounds that were coming out of me was because he didn't have he didn't have he had the tri he had the triangle on my neck not on my throat ah uh. So when I'm making that noise, that noise should have signaled to him to, you know, position his triangle and then sink it in better. Like it legit. Be no like, noise and soft sleep, isn't it? Exactly. That's a triangle. No noise. Go to sleep. Enter the tunnel. You ain't coming out the other side. Yeah. The fact that I could still make noise was the reason why I wasn't tapping. If I can make noise, I can breathe. Oh, okay. Yeah. But, but I remember him. Like, um, I spoke to him like before and afterwards. And he, 
he had been doing triangles for six months before that. <laughs> oh wow. wow! Yeah, he he his two main moves is the um is the guillotine from okay. So basically, when you try and take someone down with a double leg or a single leg, you have to basically um put your head to either side of their hip, depending on what leg you're going for. His speciality is catching their head in that position, and then choking them with either a head and arm in guillotine. Or just a or just a, a neck guillotine. So all he had been doing was that and triangles for six months beforehand. And me, like an idiot, I rock up being like, "Bro, bro, I want I want to start from the top and uh, and I want to somehow go on my back." I'm basically trying to do like fancy shit. I want to do like a Peruvian necktie with a little twist here. Or if that doesn't work, let's roll into this. Whereas he was just like, "Nope, I have two moves. I'm really good at these two moves, and I'm going to do these two moves." And to, to, to his absolute credit, he done one of the two moves and he got me. What um, can I say? <clears throat> he, so, he was absolutely well, brilliant. Well, Daniel San fought you in round in the third match, right? So yeah. did that mean that Daniel San, that Daniel San fought two matches before fighting you? Yeah, he would have had to have gone two rounds before getting to the yeah, same so he would position have been, that I was. He would have beaten two guys with his karate, right? So that would have been quite kick-ass. But here's the thing, and here's what you can never tell. Was he a real karate dude or had he done karate for like six months? Or had he done Brazilian jiu-jitsu for like five years? And he's just like, hey, I'm going to mess around. I'll do karate stance this match. It's true. Yeah, that's a good point. Because don't forget, he had, he had to have beaten two people. The first guy who I fought in that competition was the capoeira guy. He nearly knocked me out. It's, it's crazy. It would have been a good event to watch. All these colorful fighters like. It, oh, I blood sport. Well, life. the the next guy who I fight um, in the tournament, the guy who beats me, um, he he does something. Well, he does a martial art called. Have you heard of slap boxing? No, you, you mentioned it last time. We were talking about slap, but slap's not slap boxing, and I, I've I've never really seen slap boxing. No, haven't seen it. Slap boxing is a. It's not technically slapping because you're not using your fingers. You're using you know the palms of your hand. Oh yeah, the the yeah. Um, where 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 your hand joins your wrist, your palm. It's the fleshy part. Uh, yeah, the fleshy part. It is when they do when they break like bricks and the way they break um wooden boards. You assume they use the edge of the hands, but they don't yeah. actually use that. They actually use that bit, that fleshy bit, because it's chunky. Exactly, but that's the guy who beats me in the next round because he he hit well. I won't ruin it. We'll 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 talk about the demise of the karate kid. So anyway, he's turning up, moving from position to position. I'm hammer fisting, hammer fisting, hammer fisting. Uh, where did we get up to? Um, I managed to pass guard. I got inside control. I went to scarf. From scarf, I just kept on hitting him, hitting him, hitting him. And luckily enough, he gave me a kimura, which is a basic white belt submission mm -hmm. um his arm was just there at the perfect uh 90 degree angle for was you in guard, though? uh no i already passed his guard i was in the scarf position and he still managed to get the wrist and then to go for the kimura from that position well yeah if you're in someone's guard you can't well you can kimura them but it's going to be super hard if you're in their guard like if they're in your guard you can kimura them because you can get like your arm to behind their back Okay. Yeah. But if they're in your guard, then you have control over them. So if they try and Kimura you, you would just throw them out of your guard. Mm -hmm. 
But um, yeah, I managed to get the, get the Kimura. Um, anybody listening out there who knows about the Kimura, you know, you do the throttle the motorbike. So I throttled the motorbike and he tapped. Oh, good. And then got outside the cage, um, had like water and stuff like that with Jamie. Only had to wait another 10 minutes. And this it like, and this is where I lost, but this is also where I learned the absolute most about underestimating people. Because the guy who beat me, he's also five foot nine. He was also just as muscular as me, just as tattooed as me. So but his his advantage was what? That he caught you with a heavy his, blow or his advantage was the fact that I because I had seen him warming up and he's hitting with his palms. So I didn't, it's not that I didn't take him seriously. I was still ready for like a fight, but I wasn't, I wasn't expecting, like I said earlier on, it's the blows that you don't expect that hit you, that rock you. And, and when did he catch this you was like, the yes, the side of the temple with an open hand. So like those Kung Fu movies aren't too bad, right? Because that's, that's what they use quite a lot. The problem with the Kung Fu, with the Kung Fu movies when they use that move, in my opinion, is that they don't use enough force generation. Yeah, they, they, they don't even put the footwork in, right? For a lot of Exactly. Whereas this guy, I mean, his name was like Anders. I remember he was, I remember he was Dutch. He was, he was from the Netherlands. He had like a, a funny accent. <laughs> yeah. He was a short guy. Five foot nine, like exactly the same height as me. He was muscular. He was tattooed. He had tribal tattoos like I have, but in like different patterns. And I just remember just, I just remember being like, oh, like this guy does like slap boxing. And I remember being like slap boxing versus real boxing. Real boxing is going to win. And I remember like it was the pretty, <clears throat> I think, and by the way, believe this or not, like I was seeing stars, so I could not continue. I took a knee and I just couldn't stabilize myself. Where did he learn slap boxing? Do you think from from Netherlands? I think it's from the Netherlands. I, yeah, he was also a kickboxer as well. Okay. He was a he, very he, very good kickboxer. Yeah, he, he did more than one martial art then. Yeah, but all of his punches, his he didn't have fists when he was punching. He was literally just punching with the palms of his hands. I've seen that in Krav Maga because they said that they worry. And this is back to the hammer fist. Mm. Um, they, they, they worry for your knuckles because your skull's harder than your knuckle, right? You've yeah, 100%. More, more bone on your head, your forehead, than mm -hmm. the little bones you have in your hand. Especially True. if you don't land properly, you're going to break your fingers. So in self-defense, and you see this in old-fashioned self-defense videos, in, including those that don't work, they always tell the victim to the strike with the palm of the hand that bit like the slap boxing style it could be to be honest with you i've never really looked into it though i really should you have it a lot in kung fu like tiger claw and stuff but i guess yeah good point you don't but have this... people competing to for you to experience that right yeah but this guy was i mean his kicks were some of the fastest that i've probably ever seen outside of thai boxing I mean, like when we like we 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 touch gloves and there was like an old school like ding ding like bell on the side, and as soon as that bell hit the second ding, his leg was already up like next to my temple, so I literally like ducked underneath it 
And I grabbed his leg and that's how I managed to get the first takedown, like literally two seconds in. He tried to head kick me. I took him down. I started elbowing his ribs. I put my elbow in his throat. I, I was just trying to win, basically. I was trying to win like quickly because I didn't have that much like rest in between like Karate Kid and him. <laughs> um, he managed to get out because everyone who's listening, they would know to have full control over any human being, you need over under me like an idiot. I had the under, I didn't have the over, which means I didn't have the overhook. I only had the underhook. So he managed to use the underhook to leverage himself, to get up to, to basically get his legs underneath him. And then he stood up. Uh, he went to knee me, which made me disengage the grapple. Um, I went for the good old Chuck Liddell jab overhand right, which landed, but he ate that overhand right to just palm slapped me as hard as he possibly could in the side of the temple. Did he tell you it was slap boxing? Was that the style that he told you? That, oh, this, this is slap boxing. This was afterwards when I was talking to him, and I think that's the only way that he could convey it in in um, Dutch, maybe. Yeah, because this sounds awful. You probably don't believe, but it looks like I don't know. Bed. It sounds like kung fu. It, it, it could be. It does it, not sound like slap boxing, only because I don't think if something was slap boxing, I don't think they'll call it this score is called slap boxing. They'll probably give it like Tiger's Claw style Kung Fu. It, it, easy, it genuinely easily could be. But like, like I said, he didn't speak much English. The, the only English he knew was like, hello, nice to meet you. Um, he said slap boxing to me. He said, <laughs> he's. He said, uh, great opponent, great guy, good guy. That's literally the only things that he said to me. For my verdict, it was Kung Fu. <laughs> it, dude, it, sounds like, it sounds like snake style. Could, dude, then Kung Fu works because I'm telling you, when he, when he hit me with it, it wasn't that my legs were wobbly. It was just the, the ringing in my head just would not stop. Because it, the, the problem with the fist is that, because it's quite hard, right? It mm -hmm. cracks you. And that cracking force explodes on your head. Um, but when you wear a boxing glove, it's, it kind of doesn't allow the crack to happen on contact. And the whole force transfers to you and your brain rattles in your head. And you get yeah, that's why like a lot that. of the athletes are starting. With, starting with his palm, it's got that soft quality of a glove. So he's projecting all the force onto you. But because he's not using the knuckles the force doesn't crack. So you don't get a lot of the force disperse on the surface contact. So the force doesn't explode on the surface like you would when you hit someone. But because he's transferring all that force through the empty palm, that's why that power kind of thing is that Kung Fu stuff. I really need to start putting more respect on Kung Fu if that's what he was using. Because I'm telling you, I've, I've not been hit that hard before nor since. When, when Ben Smith hit me in that boxing match, my legs were just jelly. But when this guy hit me, there was like a whistle in my head and it just wouldn't go, if that makes any sense. Yeah, I mean, I mean Krav Maga do that. But it sounds like Kung Fu. Uh, and, and of course, like once Kung Fu goes to um, I'm probably get hatred for uh, misconveying stuff but there you go like when Kung Fu goes to European countries their sparring goes right up so then it's no longer Kung Fu anyway so the movements might, might have been that one point Kung Fu but because they love sparring 
it becomes like, kickboxing. Yeah, like a brutal kickboxing kung fu mix. So it's just a kickboxing thing, um, but with that kind of like with some of the techniques leaked in, but made actually efficient rather than doing carters and forms all day. They've actually made it work. Well, yeah, but after he hit me with it, there was like a ringing uh, in my head. Um, he threw another like volley of punches. I threw like another volley of punches. I I I, I took a knee for about three seconds after he after he hit me, wow. until the, until, yeah, I literally took a knee. The referee was like, "Come on, let's go, let's go," and I was like, "Okay," got back up. Uh, we exchanged probably another two or three volley of punches, and then he just overwhelmed me with like punches. Like it wasn't like a like a stoppage by like the referee. I wasn't being like overrun. But you could tell that I was a bit sh- a bit rattled, you know what I mean? Shaken. Exactly, yeah, a bit shaken. And there was probably like three minutes left. And every expert there could tell, okay, this guy's not going to regain in three minutes. It's going to take him, you know, like a break. He's going to need a drink of water. Don't forget, there's no rounds here. <laughs> so it wasn't like I could like wait this round out get some water, get some ice, do you know what I mean? And get my head sorted for the next round. It's just one 10 minute tear up basically. Oh, okay. That, that's... So that but was yeah, the last round of the night then? Uh, for me, yeah. For him, no. Um, we exchanged a couple more punches. He threw, a, he threw another couple of kicks. I, I went for another couple of takedowns. Um, but yeah, at one point I just lunged at him. And he kind of just like shrugged me off. And then the referee was just like, are you okay? Like clearly seeing like something's wrong. Like the referee was like, you okay? And I was like, my head is, my head is just killing me. Like my head is just killing me. And the referee was like, okay, do you think you'll regain? And I was like, I don't think so. And he was like, okay, I'm just going to stop it then. Because the last thing you want to do is get like really stupid and get yourself like a brain injury or you know, like a fractured skull. Like the winners of these tournaments, you normally get like I think it was like a two grand um prize and like a like a medal for each round that you win. So it's not like something that like you're not gonna go out like a Spartan, do you know what I mean? Mm. But yeah, and that was that was the last round that I had in that tournament. I got to the quarterfinals. Were eleven percent eyesight in each eye. Well, yeah, but I've always had that since I was like 11. Yeah. It's quite, quite a challenge, really. It's a challenge, but it's a fun challenge. I mean, you only live life once. As a person with a handicap, as they used to say back in the day, or a disability in this day and age, what are you going to do? You're going to let your disability make you sit at home, not go out, not expand your circle, not not expand your knowledge. I know so many blind people that have never even been to other countries. I've been Thailand, Greece, China, Monaco. Wow. How many blind guys you know that's been on watch Formula One? I can't see the cars going, but I hear them when they're coming about. Ooh, that one sounds red. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, it's very inspiring. inspiring yeah, yeah it's, it's, it's very motivating man i mean and the way you described everything the way you described your fights i've not heard anybody you've interviewed describing that detail 
so graphic. I could go into play by play and blow by blows. Trust me. Yeah, again, it's like I'm I'm those martial art nerds that to me this is like uh, mums what listening to true crime. Like, what's gonna happen next? What's gonna happen next? It's so good. I love it. No disrespect to true crime. You don't have to be mums listening. You could be dads listening. It's good. <laughs> <laughs> That's really good, uh, Sam. So I think uh, that that concludes the uh, competition experience. And the big takeaway we have there again is that you might have a disability or you might have a handicap, whatever you call it. But um, participation and learning is key, right? There's no losers in that game. Exactly. Listen, if you, if you're afraid to go out and like get knowledge, then you'll never grow as a human being. Even if you go out and you fail, fail at fail at something that you want to be good at because even if you take two steps forwards and you fail you've taken two steps forwards you're not where you was when you started and that's what life's all about there's no point going through this magical thing that we all call life with experiences and vibes and emotions and meeting people and having friends if all you're going to do